I had to shake him on my last case, Big O don't play. Guys, welcome back to another episode of the Musky Hunks Podcast. I'm one of your, we're going to call it three hosts this evening, Ryan Reed. We have two other hunkies on the line tonight, and we actually have three special guests. So looking forward to the discussion here tonight. Before we get into that, which two hunkies do we have on the phone? We're going to start with Mr. Donnie Swink, Swinky. Good evening, boys. <laughs> Good evening, buddy. What's up, Donnie? Oh, not much. Hanging out, ready to do this. Got a uh, familiar face on here and a couple uh, couple new ones. I'm looking forward to it. I don't want to blow the surprise, you know, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's good to see your <laughs> smiling face this evening, calling, calling in from the dungeon beside yep. the treadmill. Yep, the dungeon by the treadmill that just collects dust. <laughs> we also have on the phone tonight, Mr. Owen Seaman and Big O's Bucktails. Good evening, everyone. Not going to say gentlemen because we we have a a, a a female on the line here this evening, so I can't can't say exclusively gentlemen. So good evening, everyone. Good, good evening. evening. So we we might as well just jump right into this because I think uh, I think we're all a little pumped to have. Uh, have have these individuals on the line. So Owen, why don't you go ahead and just kind of give us a quick quick rundown there? Absolutely. First and foremost, our guests, uh, I mean our our listeners, if they've been listening long enough, they've certainly heard uh Ryan Elizondo as a previous guest. He's been on uh, I think he had his own uh, own episode and then he joined us at least one other time. So Ryan, we've uh we've kind of nominated as our West Coast hunk or maybe our half Mexican hunk. Um, you know, I don't know how he likes to be referred to, but he's, uh, he's always been a big supporter and a big part of a a big part of this kind of podcast success in on, in all honesty. So Ryan is here to talk about really his season out West. Cause remember he's, he's out in, uh, Washington. We'll talk a little bit about where everyone is from, but we also have his beautiful fiance Lynn on the line and their good friend, Nick Granado. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, you are. All right, so we have we have Lynn and Nick on the line as well, uh, joining Ryan, because they just got done fishing in their uh, Muskies Inc. chapter. I guess is a chapter the, the chapter tournament, the chapter championship, and uh, and they're here to talk talk a little tiger muskies because they're they're into the tiger muskies out there out west. So Ryan, say hello. Hey guys, it's uh, been a little bit of a long time since we talked. Um, and Owen, I'd like to go to the the correct term instead of calling me a Mexican from the West is more of a hybrid. Right? <laughs> You're a hybrid model. Yeah, hybrid. Love it. Oh my uh, lord. So who so who'd you drag on here with you tonight, huh? So dragged on the uh the better half, Lynn. She's on board, and then uh really good friend, good stick. Uh, we've known each other for quite a few years. Lynn and I fished with him when we were in Utah this past weekend, and that's uh, Nick Granado. He's a hell of a stick. So, welcome. Awesome. Thank well, you. we are really excited to have you guys. And if if anyone 
has followed the hunks and our Instagram and everything. I mean, Ryan, you need to follow Ryan Elizondo's Instagram. Uh, what, uh, what exactly is it? Mule Hunter? Five. Okay. Mule so not Mule to be confused. Not to be confused with the other Ryan Elizondo that lives in Texas, who I initially <laughs> made the mistake on Instagram <laughs> months and months and months ago. Couldn't like figure go, out why I never was catching any muskies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, man, I'm not seeing so, it. Ryan has Ryan has a great, great Instagram account where he just chronicles his fishing. And <clears throat> I wanted to say, like, if you follow Ryan's account, you, I'm sure you've seen Lynn because Lynn is out there fishing with him. And Lynn also, I mean, she also posts on her her Instagram account. I mean, they're always posting good content of the fish that they're putting in the boat out there. And it's really impressive because, you know, last week we had on, uh, you know, a, a very young bait maker from local here in West Virginia. You know, now we're going all the way out West again and kind of saying that's how big the reach of musky fishing is. And we want to bring you guys on because you guys really do it hard out there. Like this is not kind of like, Oh, wow, there's muskies out here in Washington. Like, what do you do with them? Like, you guys are loaded for bear when you go out fishing, just like we do. You ca- you, tra- you troll, you cast. I mean, tell us a little bit about the fishing out there in Washington. So here in Washington, Lynn and I are both from Washington. Nick is actually out of Utah, out of the Salt Lake area. Um, the main fishery he fishes is called Pineview Reservoir, which is a little bit north. I'll let him go into that, though. Um me coming from the Midwest, there was a lot of different tactics we learned. So, and then uh, Lynn's actually from the Midwest as well, but we ended up meeting out here. So, we've uh, I don't know Washington compared to Utah is a little bit different. Where the knowledge here in Washington, I don't think is as well as it is there in Utah. Um, there's a lot of different anglers in Utah that have seen the Midwest, have fished the Midwest. Nick himself, he went on a big trip this year. Um, and did something new. So I'll let him share that. But just having a very diverse mind, trying to think of different tactics to catch these fish. We all know the the mindset with the tigers, when we talked about this before, is small, small, small. Yes, it does work. And that's where my confidence level in throwing some bigger stuff is different from like Nick's confidence. And and what they fish there in Utah too, and they, it works at certain times at both at both fisheries. It's just a matter of, in the end, it is confidence. So let me ask you: so when you and Lynn met, was she already a musky fisher person? I want to be gender gender appropriate, you know, fisher woman, fisher, you know, what are we? Not fishermen, but uh, were you already into musky fishing? No. So I grew up in the Midwest, as Ryan said, and we would go to Minnesota every summer. So I'd go fishing with my dad for bass and bluegill. And um, I actually accidentally caught a northern pike when I was probably about 11 years old, um, probably 35, 36. So pretty a decent one. Yeah, that's And good. I, I at that point didn't even know that fish had teeth. <laughs> so me being this little 11 year old girl, um, my dad trying to get it in the net and flop around in the boat and I'm crying. Was he and... swearing? <laughs> yeah. And um, even Jesus Christ, reminded, reminded me the other night, my grandpa was in the boat and he said, you're not bringing that thing in the boat. 
And my dad's like, yep, we are. So we kept it and did for fish fry. But um, that was my first kind of introduction. And then kind of died off, moved out to Washington, had kids. Um, and then met Ryan and he's like, oh, yeah, I fish. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I grew up fishing and um, kind of was a tomboy. And I'll let Ryan tell the story of the first time he took me out on the boat, though. That was that's a good one. Let's hear just it. I'm, I'm ruined for life. All right. That's <laughs> it. I created a monster. Nick knows. Nick knows 100 percent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that it was like our second or third date. And I said, hey, I'm going to go fishing this weekend. Would you like to join me? And she said, yeah, but it was uh never knew I was on a good bite already to begin with. And then that bite continued. And the first fish we ever handled together was a 45 and a half, which was wow. insane. So, wow. yeah, it was over after that. We'll say that. She so I got a spider running around on my feet. I was hooked for sure after that. Yeah, she's handled quite a few fish over the years, which is great. And she's she's into it. She, she does it for the right reason. And she she's knowledgeable now, the handling and everything. We just had a, a decent-sized fish we caught the other week that Lynn caught last October. And I yeah, caught I saw last that. week. And we match it up. Lynn is really into that and kind of matching up patterns and doing all that. Um that's something I'll let once we get towards Nick and we'll talk about what our chapter is doing with the Utah DNR uh, with the tagging program. So we'll go into that more about the chapter. Then. So just real quick, just to kind of give us an idea, because Lynn, you've been, how long have you guys been out in Washington together? Like an equaling, like how much, how many years have you been musky fishing now? It's, so we've been together for about six, six years now. Okay. Just a little bit over six years now, so I couldn't even tell you how many musky she's handled now. So, like, Lynn, sitting here now, looking back, did you ever think you would be musky fishing this hard, like, with Ryan, like, six years ago? No, go not really. <laughs> I was going to say, like, going from, like, hey, I, I, I fished growing up to now being, like, you know, a really good stick out there in a, in a state that... You know, I don't always think about muskies like that's pretty wild in six years. Like that's a pretty quick progression, too. Yeah. And I couldn't have done it without learning how much I've learned from Ryan. Um, really, that's been the biggest thing is the learning. And then, of course, as musky fishermen, we think they're smarter than they are. And <laughs> um, very true. Yeah. And it's, but, and it's about time on the water. And it seems like you are on the water a lot with Ryan, you know, and that's, you know, I, it's like, I tell my son, my, my son always says he wants to catch a muskie. And I'm like, dude, you got to get on the boat with me. Like, you know what I mean? Like you're not going to catch a muskie if you don't want to get on the boat and say, Hey, I'm going to spend four or five hours just chasing this stupid fish. Yep. And we've, we've tried to get my kids into it. And it's just slow. It's slow for the kids, but, um, we'll we'll even this... be on a bite and they don't even notice what's going on. They'll be up in the front <laughs> on their phone or something. Oh, you guys caught one? Yeah, we caught like four already or something like some crazy <laughs> day. Just this like, summer, oh. though, my son was kind of getting into it. Ryan was showing him trolling and how you can see, you know, the different contours and the trees down in the water and all that stuff. And he was kind of looking probably like a video game, kind of just like driving along right. and stuff. 
So he was kind of getting into that aspect of it. Um, but I think being a woman, it, we are the minority. There's more and more of them coming out and Absolutely. are enjoying the sport, um, which is great. And no, if you would have asked me six years ago, probably not. And uh, probably if you would have asked me if I would have thought a fish could be beautiful, even one with teeth, I probably would have said no, but they're pretty amazing. They, yeah, they really are. And, you know, going back to what you just said, that there's more and more female musky anglers that you see, I think it's, and I, I'm going to go ahead and say it's like a direct contribution to, to, to women like you and Jesse Baker and, you know, uh, these other women who are out there really doing it, you know, like, you know, not doing it just for, for likes. And, you know, there's, I'm, I'm sure if you follow any, any fishing st- stuff on instagram you also start getting all the kind of spam accounts with the the saltwater bikini babes and you know where it's that's all it's about you know where if you're gonna musky fish it can't be about that you know what i mean like you if you're gonna take an interest in this there's only one interest that you have and that is actually chasing this fish and you know taking it seriously and I, i think that's awesome and you know, I want my daughter to follow, follow women like you and Jesse Baker and, you know, the others, uh, Samantha dads. And, you know, there's, there's a, a number of them. I, I don't, can't think of more off the, off the top of my head, but it's just like, it really is impressive how many women are starting to catch on. And I, I think it's kudos to you and, uh, and, and the others. Well, thank you. I, think, I, I wouldn't I put myself up there. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was I wouldn't put myself up there quite with Jesse Baker and them, but um I do work my ass off for to catch the fish and um it is hours on the water and lots of hours with nothing. Um but it's that one fish that you do finally catch that makes it all worth it. Absolutely. Ryan, I was going to say there's more and more. I mean, there's some of these channels now like devoted angling or devoted yeah. outdoors with the husband and wife couples. I think that's, I don't know. I've, I'm not going to lie about it, but I've had relationships in the past where this damn fish is, has broke, has ruined the relationship. Um, and I think we can all attest to that. Oh, yeah. um, it's happened, but I mean, I, I think I got lucky. So I'll tell you. I can't lie about that either. I, so. I think this is a like a super underrated thing too, because like you mentioned about devoted, like there's a lot of couples. Like I, I, I don't know why I thought about this, but like uh, Josh and Amanda Monge out there in either Wisconsin or right. Minnesota, like you know they they kind of got into this thing, and I think this is super cool, dude, because you know muskies like especially when you get into the sport, everybody looks at this thing like it's a super tough grind, like. It's just hard work all day, every day. And it is hard. Like, that's why I think a lot of us are drawn to it. The grind. But, but to see, like, the family aspect of it, like, couples out there fishing, families out there fishing, like, that is super right. cool to me. It's it's not an easy thing to do, but when you get the whole family and, and you, you know, you guys as a couple out there, that's a really cool thing and way to spend time. And it's just, man, you got to really love, love these fish to do it and – you know, when you guys find that stuff and, and you get the time to do it, it's it's a really cool thing. And I think a lot of us look at that, you know, from the outside looking in. And 
I think we all can appreciate that and understand like, you know, that's kind of a special scenario. So kudos to you guys. That's awesome. There's sure. times where we get on each other's nerves and let's oh, get yeah. frustrated totally with normal. each other, but <laughs> you know, that's totally normal. I mean, that's part especially of it. Especially when the fish are being assholes, that's that it happens. And you're my mind's questioning myself and I'm trying to say, Hey, should we try this? No, I don't know. Maybe. And I'm like, just give me a damn answer. Let's go. We got to catch a damn fish. It's like ordering dinner. It's like, what do you want okay. tonight? I don't what know. do you what want? Do you want oh, tonight? I don't know. You pick. No, you pick. Then as soon as you suggest something, it's like, oh, no, I don't want that. I don't want that. Bulldog and Buck Chapter. You pick. You pick. <laughs> 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 All right. So tell us. So now we've gotten a little bit of background on, on YouTube. Tell us how. How does Nick fit into this whole, uh, you know, scenario? How did you, uh, Ryan? Where did you meet Nick? Uh, on Grinder, we met on Grinder. <laughs> the Musky Grinder. Musky Grinder. You guys, uh, I'm surprised grinder. I haven't seen anything there before. We're gonna have to trademark that, like right now. I had a mouthful of Miller Light when you said that, dude. I almost lost it. <laughs> Uh, so I joined chapter 65. So it's Mountain West Muskie and home base is out of Utah. Um, I joined in 2018. Nick, correct me if I'm wrong. 2015 is when, yeah, when 65 was established. Correct. Um, a gentleman by the name of Joe Wisner, really good friend of Nick and I, um, I met him just before that, before the first, my first trip to ever to Utah. Um, and he kind of introduced me to the chapter and everything like that. A lot of like-minded anglers thinking outside the box, thinking more West uh, Midwestern style um, versus, I know, just some of the, the tactics people think here. Um, and they actually fished hard. They really fished hard and they were in it for the right reason. Um, and then meeting Joe, Joe came out here, fished with me. I went out to Utah and then I ended up joining their chapter. And that's kind of how Nick and I met through Joe and through the chapter. And we became really, really good friends. Uh, Nick came out here and fished with us for a week last year. Um, and then like we're talking about, Lynn and I just went out there. We stayed with Nick. He let us uh, jump aboard his Crestliner and we had some fun for a few days. All right. So Nick, where, where exactly are you in Utah? Are you in Salt Lake? I'm in Salt Lake, just uh, kind of like east side of Salt Lake, which would be like Mill Creek area, technically. Are you like a uh, a native Utahian? Yeah, yep. I've grown up in like the Salt Lake Valley. Yep, my whole life. All right. And when did the musky bug hit you? Because, uh, I mean, when were muskies introduced? In, in, and again, for our listeners, we're talking about hybrids. We're talking yeah. about tiger, tiger muskies. Tiger. And yeah. this is, and these are reservoirs where these are completely stocked fisheries out west. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure that all of our listeners, if they haven't listened to our past podcasts, okay. totally get that. So, when, when did tigers start getting stocked in Utah? Um, I, I think originally in the 90s, at that point, you know, I was that, like 10 and I wasn't really fishing for them. Um, I fished my whole life. My progression of fishing was, you know, small streams and lakes, like in the high mountains with my dad, we go like every Sunday. Um, and then as I got older, like most people, and you have access to a car and you can go and you can do, and then out of high school, 
Um, that's when I really fully embraced fishing because I could go myself and I wasn't reliant upon anyone else. Um, I, I fly fished for a really long time. Yeah, I was going to ask because out west that seems to be the yeah for sure. And so I, you know, I, I I had the drift boat. I floated the rivers. I you know went everywhere. Um, I was a rainy signature fly tire. I still am. Um, so I have like signature like pike musky patterns that are still oh, nice like cabela shields places like that um but that's really where my deviation was in fly fishing was when i ran into tiger muskies so um always did the trout thing and then was chasing different trout bigger trout um traveling a lot doing that and there's kind of there's kind of a plateau in a sense with that some people may or may not agree but with other fish like pike and muskie, et cetera, out there, that kind of is a plateau in a sense for angling. So um, that changed dramatically for me. And um, I only fly fished for tiger muskies exclusively for like, probably like the first five years. Um, really? Yeah. And I was extremely successful. Um, we had some fisheries at the time that were honestly overstocked. So they weren't the hardest to fish. Um, and I was very fortunate with that. Um, I learned kind of, let me let me stop you there. What yeah. what kind of fisheries are we talking about? Are we talking about like deep, clear lakes or what, yeah. what types of bodies? For the most part, they're 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 fairly clear. And they they range in acreage from you know 200 surface acres, so fairly small. That was where I first started. Mm -hmm. And they stocked a, a a crazy amount of fish for about like five years to get that fishery online. Um, because it um, drought years, it dries up. So it, it dried up, they'd restocked it. And I got to watch a fishery on the upswing. Um, and that's where I started. And I, and like I said, I feel really fortunate with that because I started with a lot of smaller uneducated fish that were competitive with each other. And so I, I had a lot more interactions with, with fish on a regular basis than most people would when they first start. Um, you know, that fishery in particular, um, is just like an irrigation ditch for the most part. So, um, a really, really great fishery in the early summer when it's full, but then it, it lost elevation dramatically quick. Like it could be like two, three feet a week. Oh, wow. So it's going to drop because they're just, it's the only purpose for it is not for fishing or fishery management. The water is owned by the farmers and that's what it's all for. And that's a huge thing in the West. Well, it, so why, so why are there tiger muskies being stocked in smaller bodies like that? Like if you're saying that's almost like an irrigation ditch. Um, I, I meant like an irrigation ditch in the sense that that's how it's utilized. It's okay. utilized just for irrigation. It's like, let's well, damn water. We fill it up as full as we can and we're going to draw it down to at least 50 or 30% gotcha of its capacity right so we get this massive fluctuation so that means our seasons can be fairly short um you can have algae blooms temperature issues especially when summer comes along you know so so there's definitely the, the challenges um the challenges so what would be the what would be like the purpose of introducing them in a in a body of water like that yeah, which yeah. is purely so, irrigation um like one one it's the that they they it, it's there and like this one in particular there's not a lot of uh kind of like typical 
Midwestern style, like pan fisheries in, in, in Utah or as much in the West. So like this one has like good crappie and bass and perch, you know, to begin with when we have high water years that thrives, they just know that about every 10 years there's going to be issues. And, and, you know, that, that's one thing um, Ryan can kind of talk about that. That's kind of some of the the issues that we're dealing with the, with the DNR of like, why are you stocking these fisheries knowing that they're, you're going to have these issues because we are having an issue um, producing fish. So the fish that we do get, why are we going to put them somewhere? Like we've had the highest water year we've ever had in, in like 30 something years. And now that, that place is only like 50% full. So we get like a poor water year, it's empty, that fishery resets again. And so we're talking about it as like, as, as a chapter of being smarter with the fish that we do have. Like where you're, yeah. where you're yeah, putting where, the fish correct. that you do have. Correct. Like where we're to that too, like Nick said, this is the highest water level they've had in almost a decade last year was the lowest water they've had in over a decade no, where... no those are like historic like historic like we we went from like the worst water drought situation like we've ever had historically to like flood stage of like 40 years ago and before that 40 years there is nothing like that yeah so the dnr most extremes uh, go ahead I was yeah. just going to say, they had to take some fish from different lakes and transport them because there wouldn't be enough water to keep those fish alive. Yeah, they were dried up, what, so they had transplant efforts. I wanted to ask that because here, like, we, they drain our lakes here for, like, dam work. You know, like, they'll take, like, a reservoir and just drain it all the way down. But they'll they'll spend the time and take trucks out there and actually like offload those fish and take them to other lakes. Like I was curious if they were doing that, but that sounds like that sounds like it's out of necessity of not wasting the resource. Like they have to do it. Yeah, but they still they still transplanted like a fraction of right. what was actually in there. You know, they can't get to all of them. They get stuck and stranded in weird spots. And um, but so in a. Is the DNR stocking is the is the program mainly focused on ecology, like like that that the muskies are being introduced to control something, or is it a sporting? Is it mainly a sport related? And so they will take muskies ink into account and say, hey, these are these are the guys that really want these fish in these waters, so we're going to listen to what they have to say. Yeah, I'd say I say it's 50-50. And okay. as, as a as a chapter, we have a really great uh relationship with with the DNR. Um so um there there are a few there are a few fisheries where um in particular Utah chubs can be a problem. Um the name can be kind of a little misleading because even though they're called Utah chubs, they're not native to a lot of places in Utah, right? And so we have these these higher mountain reservoirs that are extremely fertile and um, in, in, in the West, the trout is really king as when it comes to uh, angler interests, I guess you could say. Yeah. So they, um, they, they really forced and tried to get 
a lot of these to sustain like the, this, this trophy, this trophy trout status. But the problem with that is once again, the fluctuation of, of high and low water years on low water years, the, the trout really struggle and the chubs thrive and they kind of do your typical rough fish and they outcompete. And then it, it, you know, it topples the ecosystem. And then now the trout are struggling and the, the chubs are booming. And that's been ever since they've started like damming reservoirs in Utah in like the twenties through the the seventies, quite a bit. They, they had a lot of people then using live bait, transferring chubs all over. And they even have this, this problem, even in Yellowstone. That's like how far they, they went. So like Hebgen Lake has like Utah chubs in it. They have the same problem. And so it's, it's been a really big issue over the years of how to manage because uh, the, they can, the, the trout can pretty quickly lose within a year or two of rough conditions and it, it tips it. And so what they have typically done at that point has have used Rotenone and just uh, essentially pulled all the oxygen out of the water, all the fish die, and they just reset the reservoir. And some of our uh, trophy trout fisheries like Schofield and strawberry, like I've seen that happen like two times in my lifetime or three. And they've happened almost like four times at some of these reservoirs. So that's where tiger muskies come in. They tried splake, they tried tiger trout. Um, there's, there's a need in the West because of uh, invasive species problems and endangered species issues that they always want to have something that's sterile that they can control. So that's why you get tiger trout. That's where you get splake. That's where you get tiger muskies. That's where you get wipers. Um, so they can control and they're going as far as pretty much wanting to only stock sterile walleye, etc., stuff like that. And so, um, these, so they have the cycle of, of chubs taking over the trout fishery going to shit. Everybody's like, this place was great. And culturally in Utah, they were okay with it. They're like, just go ahead and wrote known and we at least know we'll have a good fishery in three years because you know, like when there's no competition, whatever fish you first put in like a, a fertile water, it's going to take off and it's going to do well. And so we were stuck in that cycle. And so after trying all these different fish, they, they really came to the conclusion that the tiger muskies are the best and most viable option. They, 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 they probably do the best job, but they also come with, trophy angling opportunities and that's became huge so a long answer but but it's it's no dude that's this is fascinating very, this is very 50 50 on on like angler interest versus ecology and trying to management manage fisheries because like one of those road known treatments are like five to six million dollars a time i can only imagine and let's not yeah. let's not i mean Let's not forget the fact that you are literally killing everything. I mean, exactly. like, how is that helping the environment? You know, how, exactly. you know, you're saying, okay, we're, we're making this ecosystem or this fishery better. You literally killed everything. I mean, I don't think that's a good option at any kind of. Oh, and, and there's, and there's also uh, like rote known technically like a route that comes out of the Amazon. Um, so like Utah, I think the last time they treated Schofield, they used like, 
like a like a ridiculous amount of like the world's resource of that to begin with so so and and there's just a lot of people especially that are like that's our drinking water like right how does this is really yeah and irrigation and if it's even for irrigation and it goes to water your crops you know like how is that affecting the crop growth and yeah you know oh man dude how many so how many lakes oh fuck how, (laughs) how many lakes Okay, so I'm I'm thinking about all this. Like you guys are talking about this body of water that's used for irrigation. Like it it sounds like they're they're just taking like whatever water is available and they're just trying to get added benefit by putting fish in it, you know, creating angling opportunities, controlling whatever other species they need to control. Like how many lakes do you guys have in that area? Because like PA, you know, Swinky Owen help me here, like we don't have that many musky lakes, but we've got we typically got to drive like an hour, two hours to get to like viable musky water. And when they drain a lake, like they drain Somerset Lake out by me, that was my only musky water. And that well, lake's not going to be back for five, six, seven, eight years, probably. What yeah. was the other one they did? Tam- Tamarack or that was, there a, was another- yeah, that was a while ago. They also did Donegal out here, which had tigers in it. So like yeah, that- my, both of my musky lakes were completely wiped out. Like how many options do you guys have here? So, so in, in, in Utah, like, are you talking about, uh, cause there's some pretty small waters that you like can't put a boat on that, that have opportunity that are real small, you know, like maybe like a hundred acres or something. So who's put it, who's putting the muskies in that little body of water? The DNR. Like this. Yeah. The state, the Utah DNR. Um, so, so, so fisheries that you can actually probably do your like traditional musky fishing and like go launch a boat or troll or you know you know not not be putting like some small craft on there you've got um start like up north so you have like newton's the furthest north at the at the top of the state that's the one that i told you fluctuates and in my opinion like shouldn't be stocked anymore and probably along with like a lot of our chapter members um then then next you have you have pine view pine view is like the crown jewel it's been stocked the longest um it's the most diverse um and gets consistently the most fish um and is like very diverse in prey and that's kind of important too um where you know you have crappie you have perch you have you know other sunfish you have largemouth smallmouth um carp you know so so that's 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 the the largest most consistent and has put out by far the biggest fish um and then down from there you've got jordanelle which really doesn't have enough fish in it currently to probably be like a, a i wouldn't say a catchable number but like a targetable number of fish and then you go further south and you have Schofield. Schofield's one of the reservoirs that's been wrote known and have these chub issues. And is probably currently like the rising star of the state. Um, a lot of members have been going there to like get bit. There's a lot of fish in like that, like 30, you know, 30 to about 40 inch size class. Because uh, it's that, it's that new up and coming class. Exactly. And they've been put there. So what are they feeding? Like if, you, if, if everything died with the wrote known, 
what are they are they also okay. stocking basically forage fish no so pretty much they can't ever completely it's almost like carp in a system they like can't really completely get rid of them so when they wrote known what they're doing is they have like such a um an upside down fishery of so many chubs and struggling trout that they just kind of like start over again and then they immediately like restock all the trout in there and at that point that's when they kind of realized i think it's like 2017 that they're like okay we've had success in another fishery with controlling chubs and we have the data behind that we can't wrote known anymore we know at some point like we'll lose the war here like we always do um none of these other hybrids are working like tiger trout long-term that kind of thing so that's when they introduced tiger muskies and it's it's been great it's worked out really well it's it's, it's at like nine thousand feet it's really high um it probably freezes the first it probably ices off the last um but during the summer uh it's extremely fertile it's always put out extremely large trout um and it seems to be thriving right now it seems like there is a good balance between the trubs being controlled, the trout being stocked in there and the tiger muskies as well. So, um, so, so that's kind of, that's been, that's been really great to see. And I think it's been um, a big shining star for uh, tiger muskies in general for the state. So and and also does it, it, oh, go ahead, go on, sorry. No, go ahead. Right. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, and it's kind of helped, alleviate some of the pressure from the big one that Nick said, like Pineview, and it gets everybody to kind of go different directions as well. Pineview is, it's very heavily with recreational boaters too, where the weekends can be chaotic, just like here on Lake Taps. Um, But yeah, that's kind of helped in giving people other options to go too. So everybody's not on the same waters, which is good. Yeah, it just sounds like the reason I asked about the options is because, man, like you get a lake that, they basically got to do that and turn over like you could have like one really good resource, you know, and maybe like five, six, seven other lakes that are, you know, Edinburgh style here. It just, you know what I mean? Like that could be a huge detriment to like you as a musky fisherman losing one of those like valuable resources, but I'm still like caught up on the fact that they just like stock fish and, it seems like whatever water is available. Right, exactly. And that's, uh, and no. that's what I'm, I'm kind yeah, okay. of so, trying so to not, wrap yeah. my head around that. Okay, yeah. so, so, so not necessarily. And there's probably like, I think, I think there's also something else that uh, people that aren't from like the, the Rocky Mountain area or in like uh, Green River or Colorado River drainage areas, um, they, they don't quite realize that we have like very, very few natural lakes. They're all reservoirs. The only reason that the reservoirs are even there are to hold water and water reclamation. And all of the water that we're talking about is eventually making it into like the Colorado river drainage or the green river, or, you know, eventually down into like Powell, Lake Mead, like that kind of stuff. So so there's constantly this need to just shuffle water down the system. And that's, that's the way it always goes. And um, that's never going to change. So it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You can think of like any, almost any place in the West. The only reason 
that that's there is for water reclamation and storage first and foremost before anything else this is just it, it's just amazing to me thinking about you know just how different the ecosystem is out there than where we are here in you know in particular western pennsylvania where we got water everywhere you know what i mean like yeah we've but even here we have we have to dam things up and there's reservoirs and whatnot so i don't know i'm just uh, i'm really interested uh, i'd be very interested to know how successful you know statistically the tiger muskies have been in you know, has it, I guess what I'm saying is, has the, has there been a long enough experiment to know whether the tiger muskies are going to solve the issue and like never have to poison the, you know, never have to kill everything again? Yeah. Yeah. If they like, if they manage it correctly. So, yeah. So, so the next, the next, uh, the next like viable fishery south from there is uh, Joe's Valley. And Joe's Valley was stocked like, 2008 ish probably i think about for the first time and i've seen essentially like a whole cycle of like the first generation of those fish get all the way up to like you know high 40s like 50 inches and then started to kind of like taper off and in in the management meetings with with the dnr and all of their sampling they're like we're we're kind of afraid like the tiger muskies are being so effective that we're afraid that we're going to topple the fishery and we're going to like suppress the chubs to the point where they won't have anything. So they actually started to like throttle back the stocking because of that. So, so if it's, if it's managed correctly, absolutely. But there is still a lot of, I personally feel like a lot of guessing and gauging and trying to figure out with, with them. Big part of that too, Owen, is Utah has their own hatchery for the tigers. So those are all created locally. Um, unlike Washington here, we actually get our fish from Nebraska and some other states as well. There's some trading and things like that. All those tigers are basically created locally in Utah too, so they can where, control them. Where is Utah getting the brood stock to create the tigers? Um, so uh, so the, the pike are out of like um, – uh, out of Yuba, which is like central in the state. Um, and it was illegally introduced with pike like 20 ish, probably something years ago. Um, and, and they've actually like decimated that fishery using the, the female pike every year to get eggs to do that. So they've had some issues with keeping fertile female pike in captivity, but they can keep fertile female muskies in captivity. So they're looking at what they would call like a reciprocal cross. And instead of having what like Nebraska does and what we traditionally used to try to do and um, the fish that we used to get being female pike mixed with like a male muscalunge, it's going to be the opposite of that. And so be a female muskie with a male, a male pike. Dude, this uh, is wild. And, and, like, and is there a different? I think there is a difference, isn't there? Yeah, there there is. Yeah. And, yeah. and one of the one of the issues is they're way more cannibalistic in like the tanks, like after they hatch before they can get them to size to plant. Um, so that's one thing. Um, but there's some other interesting things, like 
like throughout the West, there's been a lot of illegally introduced pike. And because of these like native trout in those drainages, they want to get rid of them. And so they're even looking at like, if we can raise and get enough tiger muskies, we can probably stifle and push out these pike populations like long-term. And so, um, so if Utah accomplishes that and can do the reciprocal cross, they can actually uh, genetically track them better. Um, I don't know exactly how that, that works out, but currently having the, the, the mother being the pike, they can't differentiate like genetically the difference between like uh, a pike and a tiger muskie. But if it's the mother is a female muskie, then they can differentiate in the wild genetically. So oh, there's for that for like other states that, that potentially want these fish. But the reality is they're having a hard time. Like they're having a hard time consistently raising fish to suck. And that's the exact that same fascinating, thing. Fascinating, man. Washington is working closely with Utah too because Washington wants some of those fish as well because of what Nick is saying and being able to differentiate be from a uh, from a pike to a tiger muskie and that reciprocal cross female muskie cross um is something huge and like Nick said the cannibalism is is a big thing now in Utah they're only stocking the tiger muskie as fingerlings currently they did do a, a later stocking this year correct Nick where yeah they were yeah they got like 15 inches no, they were they were like nine to ten. Yeah, which is obviously we all know that. it's a better survival rate. Now yeah. Washington, we are stocking them anywhere from like ten to fifteen inches. Lynn and I helped with that this year, um, but like I said, uh, Washington is in talks with Utah as well. Hopefully down the road, that's where our fish will come from, which I'm excited for because that I mean we've all seen the pictures versus a Washington fish and a Utah fish. Utah's fish are are super clean. They don't have a lot of the messed up tails or the fins or anything like that. I mean, you can differentiate a Utah fish from a Washington fish a lot of the times. Do we know what the like the root strain of muskie is? Is that it? Like, is it the Leech Lake strain, the Great Lake strain, or you know how they're and whether that's even discussed? No, I'm not. I'm not sure. And we've we definitely as a chapter um discuss that and and i want to say that either like minnesota or wisconsin is originally where we got our our tiger or sorry our, our musky broodstock from i mean the size and, of the fish that ryan posts you know uh, those are pretty sizable they're they're hefty fish you know they're not skinny uh you know sickly looking fish like they are they seem to be healthy you know either well See, fish you know what this I mean? is this is like a this is a perception thing too because like like ryan nick like glenn you guys are we see all we all see these pictures of these tigers and like swinky oh and correct me if i'm wrong here but like in the state of pennsylvania that's a very rare thing to see like what you guys are catching and holding out there you know we're we're mostly purebreds like i'm sure there's you know we have tigers in some of our systems yeah and i think you know like i don't necessarily want to say maybe like the Ohio river strain, like there might be some, you know, goofy stuff going on down there, whether they, they stalked them or there was some kind of natural reproduction. I, I don't know, but I feel like that tiger is something that we don't really see like giant pictures of those fish where, 
you know, I mean, you guys, that's what you're fishing for. So it makes sense. But to see a 45 inch tiger to me, like that's a fish of a lifetime here, you know, like we don't get to fish that type of, that type of scene here, you know, we're dealing with mostly purebred. So yeah, I mean, like I, I get the fact that, you know, there's differences between those two states, but my gosh, man, seeing some of those pictures, it's like, that's like a dream for us to be able to hold a tiger of that size. Nick will probably agree with it too. Like his fisheries there, like Nick brought up Joe's Valley. The the difference in the fish from Joe's Valley versus Pineview is kind of like the similar difference from like taps here to like Merwin. The way the fish build, the different type of uh, bait fish that are in there as well, the, the fish grow differently. Um, Nick, correct me if I'm wrong, you think, feel that Joe's Valley, because it is such a high elevation lake and doesn't get super warm, those fish take a lot longer to get their length. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I I would agree. Um, and it's all it's also a unique fishery because it is one of those chub waters where, like, that's their that's their only forage source is 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 a chub, and it's very high caloric, easy to get. You know, I they they thrive. They do extremely well. It's, it's interesting to hear about these challenges too, because stocking is a whole topic in itself. Like we, like we've been really lucky here in Pennsylvania, like probably the last five or six years, you know, like our stocking programs have really taken off and like, we've been lucky because, you know, we, we have some of the best fishing musky fishing now that this state has ever had. And, you know, like our, stocking like we're putting fish out that are probably in that 12 to 18 inch range you know like i've I've seen some of the fish that we've put out and it man it is it is crazy to think you know because we again like we all have tunnel vision here like it's easier for me and like donnie to sit here and be like well you know we have these lakes we could go get a fish today you know it's probably if we go to this lake we're probably going to get a shot at a low 30s fish you go to this lake you know we've got that type of water here but we don't always think about what's going on in these other areas. Like the, like where you're at Ryan and and Nick, like I don't think about those fisheries at all, unless I'm staring at pictures that you guys are posting, you know, like to hear about those struggles that you're dealing with, to hear about the water and the way that that area sets up. Like, I think it's, I think it's super cool, but it's super important to kind of like think about the entire, you know, musky range at times and like really kind of, understand what's going on there because well, yeah back I think to Ryan, like that's, Zink. you just hit it on the uh, the nail on the head in my opinion is like just how big the musky range is yeah exactly. and and that these fish you know they thrive if put in the right environments and not only can they create a a fabulous sport fishery they can also be you know ecologically helpful and i think that's and hey, oh yeah dude that's old, a huge point two two birds one stone that's the main reason they were stocked in washington too so it was the same thing with the squawfish so i mean it's now do you right, guys so I got an idea we're gonna have nate nate's gonna start raising muskies and he's gonna <laughs> he's gonna start actually he's gonna, he's gonna start raising he's gonna start crossing them and uh he's gonna start selling those to washington state 
this is uh, Nate, bud. What's it? Yes. What's in your bag? Well, how did what's he get volunteered? What's in your bag? Because because Nate Nate's <laughs> always looking. Nate's always looking for a you know a way into the into the industry and dude you know, raising dude. How how much room does he have down there in Poundtown? That's all I want to ask. He's grown down Pond Town. He can just use the lab at the school, the science lab. Exactly. Oh, yeah, the, the swimming pool. <laughs> He's got the, For that. Wow. This is uh... another really cool thing that um, our chapter does with the Utah DNR is tagging. Yeah, that's, that's actually, I, yeah, project. I wanted to bring that up when you were talking about that. Like, so do you tag, do they tag? every fish that is released no at, um so when they did that reciprocal cross the female musky cross they did put wire coated tags in some of those fish not every single one got them um, but that was the only one that they were getting went before the fish went into the into the systems now nick we're on our what fifth year of the tagging program oh i think longer is it longer now i think um I think we might be like eight. Is it already eight? Wow. I, I want to uh, say, are these like the pit, pit tags? No. These are just no. the Floyd tags. Like, yeah. You'd see, um, they're it's, on a different color every year. Yeah. But, they're, they're literally, they're uh, like a clothing tagging marking gun with like the little plastic T. Okay. And so instead of, so like the little T goes into the fish, like on the side of the dorsal in the back and then uh it's just kind of like a like a little sleeve that goes over the end that that says like they're color-coded but like what the numbers yeah ryan might have a picture the... so each fish has a specific number and then each year is a different color so yeah. then yeah. if yeah. they're caught again yeah, so so the first thing like when we get when we when we get a fish in the bag is like you check and see if it has a tag or not. And most of them are mossed over, so you can't see them. So you have to clear it to even see the color. Like the color might be like last year's was like pink, like fluorescent pink. And I caught like a fish this year that it was already completely mossed over. You couldn't even see the pink. So you got to be careful, clear that off. Um, and then we also do like a fin clip at the same time as well. Um, and, and, and they heal up like extremely well. I was like, not very excited <laughs> in the beginning, either were like a lot of members like, Oh God, we got to like double molest these fish. We have to like tag yeah. them and we have to do a fin clip and just like, just traumatic. But uh, yeah, they, they, they heal up extremely well. I actually have caught quite a few fish this year. I think like, I think like four to six fish this year that had like a little, a little dimple where a tag was deployed, but they shook the tag and they'd had a fin clip and the fin clip was like totally healed over. And you just couldn't even tell that it ever had any trauma to begin with. Um, so, so that's cool. So then I just tag them again. And then when we recapture them, we clip the other fin and the, the, uh, the importance of, of the, the clipped fin is they, they, they collect them all at the end of the year and the, um, the biologists during the winter um, go through a process, they dry them out and then they shave them down and then they can read the calcium deposits um, in that cartilage or, you know, like that bone structure uh, like tree rings. 
so they can so they can say okay that was caught at like 36 inches this year and it was like four years old at this time and then it was recaptured at like 40 inches at this date and they can like verify the age so that helps them verify the age and see like an overall picture of the data of the life of that fish as it gets recaptured and some fish uh i think i think some fish are like like four times recaptured Um, quite a few more than that too nick there's a couple sluts in the system for sure yeah (laughs) you dirty whore yeah for sure we always joke around and it's weird because uh some fish have been like tagged at like small like 23 to 28 inches and then that fish is just gone you don't see anything for a while right and then all of a sudden somebody recaptures it and you're like holy shit that that fish is 42 inches and it was tagged two and a half years ago so you can see like some of these um like i guess you could say like genetic winners you know that that get big fast and then then there's other fish that that just kind of park and they don't seem to grow much um but we also sex the fish as well so a lot of that is like the same size class how do do you sex them nick um it takes a special touch (laughs) (laughs) so uh The, the, the they need a is, drink first. <laughs> yeah. you think about the dinner first or what? You usually buy me a drink first, as I should say. If you want me to perform, I'm gonna need a drink too. Uh, but but what you what you do is, is you uh you just flip them over and essentially where their anus is is also like this the sex organs right above that. And so like females look like just two holes, essentially, like one for poop and one for eggs. Males are like more of like this. Uh, it looks like a keyhole shape. Like the top looks like like a hard, abrupt keyhole and like just two little holes kind of. And then has like the anus. So it's like that's how that's how you sex them. But um after doing it a lot, butt you- stuff. Just say butt stuff, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just that's awesome. You need to take a drink after that. Stuff. Yeah, I do need it. <laughs> but, um, that was that was almost going to be our team name for the for the tournament. <laughs> Ryan makes a lot of butt that's jokes. A good one. Ryan makes a lot of butt jokes. So I was like, what if our team name is just butt? Period. 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 Stuff. But stuff but stuff. i like that um so like just what you think it would be it's like like the males have smaller heads like their proportions totally different versus like a female like you can just almost tell like after sexing them quite a bit like, do the females grow faster than the males yeah for sure and and so that's the thing like um you have you can have like the same like like let's just say like a five-year-old age class fish right you could have a female that could be like 42 ish inches from like the tagging studies. That's what they say. And then a male could be like 30 inches. Wow, man. I have, yeah. so, I have like two or three questions, but I don't okay. like, Oh Jump my in. God, this is so, I'm just, I know thinking, dude, my, my brain is like okay. on fire right I'm now. Thinking I'm thinking through of this, all this like, stuff. I, I kind of want to hey, go well, back. Think, while you think about that, what I was going to add about the tagging, 
So our chapter has an agreement with with the Utah DNR, um, and it's only chapter members. We go through training on how to tag them, how to clip the fins, everything. Nick's one of those guys that hey, he's certified and, to show somebody yeah. else. And, how it, to and, do it, all and that. it's not all like it's it's not all members that do it either. Like it's 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 like a handful, like Ryan says that, um, you know, have been through training. Like I have a letter from the DNR that says that I can do that. You know, if anybody catches me, that that's what I, I that was one of the it. questions I wanted to know. Like what? So you guys have to go through a training, a training course for this, and like so you're certified to teach other people. Like, does that ever does that ever expand, or do you guys keep that pretty like tight to like a small group of people? Um, it's, I, I'm not honestly quite sure. I think we might have like, what is it, what is it like 10 or 12 people? Like 10, 10 or 12, the, the, yeah. Yeah, 10 or 12 people that, that tag. And it's only at Pine View specifically. It's not at any other reservoir. Um, so. And it, it's challenging too. I mean, it's musky fishing. We know how that goes. There's some year where some guys may catch 50 fish or some guys only may catch 12 fish or whatever. Over the years, though, Nick, I think we're at what, like, three hundred or something fish that have been tagged over the years. Yeah, it's it's, it's up there. I want to say it's almost it's, like four or something. I want to say like three eighty five yeah. or something sticks in my mind. We could look. Awesome. We could look at the. And we the, have a whole the the chapter has a whole spreadsheet that has each tag number when it was initially captured, when it was captured again, the length, everything like that, and that's shared with the DNR as well too. So, I mean, we've got really good history on that, those fish. And also on those tags, it has a phone number. So if anybody that's not a chapter member that's out there and catches one, they can report the the length of that fish. And it, obviously it says, do not remove, don't take this tag out because it is for a study. Um, but that that's way we get additional information is too from other anglers that are out there and have the opportunity to catch one. That's awesome. Can we get, can we go back to just real quick? Can we go back to circle back around? Cause I want to circle back around on the stalking stuff. (laughs) Um, Okay. So you, you guys had mentioned like at some point that lake that they were getting the brood stock for pike was kind of like annihilated by taking fish out. Like that stuck out to me because in, in the state of Pennsylvania, when they pull the fish for this, for the uh, you know, the spawning effort, like those fish are being returned to the water. Right. But like, are you guys, do you know, like, are they keeping these fish like captive essentially like throughout the year and maintaining that for no. no? Okay. No Good question. They're, they're, so they're, they're netting the fish. So they would traditionally go down, you know, t- like typically around March uh, when the pike spawn starts and go to like the shallow bays and put nets and like some of them just aren't going to make it or most of them yeah. are make it just by by nature um but like i said at the time like they didn't even really care because you had this invasive species that they were trying to get rid of so it was kind of for them like two birds one stone it's like perfect we start getting our feet wet trying to figure out um you know raising tiger muskies and starting our our program and we're getting rid of a fishery that, that like at that point there was there was no like limit on pike they were like keep them all you know, so, yeah. so what ended up happening is later on, they, they run into these issues and it was kind of like, a, oh, well, we can't obviously keep doing this. 
Yeah, I was were just people, curious about that. And then there's one were other people upset about. Sorry, were people upset that like the pike the, that they were going to try to get rid of the pike fisheries? Yeah, for sure. It's like it's like anything, right? You're going to have people that are like, you know, like those damn muskies are eating all my walleye. Fuck them, you know. Well, that, like, that 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 actually have, took that was going to be one of my questions. Was have you have people? Pike, then you're yeah. going to have all these people that are like, I love going and just whacking twenty pike in the summer and taking them all home, you know, and. And so, it, you know, fairly mixed, but I would say overall, I, there's nothing else that is in that water. It's literally like carp, like three walleyes and like four perch. <laughs> and then, and then the, the sad thing was it was an, it was an epic pike fishery where you were regularly seeing every year, like 45 plus inch, like super fat pike coming out of it. What? This is my, this was another question. What? I'd be... We should pull up later and send you some of these like netting efforts when they're like the DNR is taking pictures like, hey, we're netting for doing this or whatever. Uh, like a couple of our, our chapter president and his wife went down there and it's just, yeah, it's just like, oh, there's a 46 inch pike. That one's 47. See, this um, is what I wanted to know about that, about those lakes too. Cause like Utah, I mean, it, the water gets pretty warm, right? So you guys, you guys have to see that. I think the term is warm water burnout. Like basically talking about how fast fisheries that have warmer climates, these fish grow versus like in Canada where you might see a, a walleye that's, yeah. you know, or whatever, a muskie that's 30 years old, that's right. still hasn't reached its peak. Whereas like here, our fish are going to reach that peak in probably what, 10 years or, or even less than that. So do you guys like, can you talk about the, the temps? Like how do, do you guys feel like you see some of that warm water burnout? Uh, so, so, a lot of it has to do with like elevation mm. and like the, the nature of like whatever drainage it is. So like Yuba in particular is like a sand wash, like reservoir. So it maybe has like a foot to a maximum two feet of visibility. It's really shallow for the most part. Um, and so there's just mainly carp in there and pike is what's in there. And then they've started stocking the tiger muskie in there to try to like edge out the pike and see if that's mm. something that'll work. And that's another thing where I feel like that's a, that's a waste of fish when we are currently having a hard time consistently stocking places like, like Pine Butte, you know, and Angio's Valley. So, um, so somewhere like there get, gets, gets really warm um, and can be fairly stagnant. And then Schofield, is never going to have any any temperature issues for the most part because it's at like nine thousand feet, and if you see a water temperature of like seventy two degrees, that's going to be like the peak, and it might be there for like a week and then go back the other way, like really fast. Um, Pine View can, depending on how much snowpack we have and how much water, uh, can really change. So so this year was pretty unique for me, where the like no fish period of time was like the shortest possible. It was like kind of this two week period but if you that was just the middle of the day you could still go at night or early in the morning if you wanted to where you know typically or like what ryan said where we had some of like the hottest lowest water temperatures like a year or two years back to back previous i i was like having to take off like five weeks of fishing because last of year Nick, what was it Pineview got down to lows of like 18%. Like it was just super low. And that's another thing. So the lower the water 
table is, the 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 quicker it heats up, and it doesn't have any like cool water coming in. Um, so I, I would say that's probably honestly the most challenging thing of, about tiger muskie fishing in Utah is the 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 stockings not super consistent, and our water years are extremely inconsistent, and you might be like fishing sand in a bathtub one year and then the next year it's the complete opposite. Yeah. That's nuts, dude. That is so diverse, like constant changing. Like that is definitely not what we have here. Now a lake that's at 9,000 feet like that, 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 uh, you know, you said that if, if you see water temps at 72, that's kind of alarming, you know, to a degree. No, it's not. A, it's not alarming. That's just the warmest that that's gonna get. Like we want it to get there because they're okay. the exact same way you think they would, right? Like, but that's the warmest it's gonna get. Where like Pine View can get to like eighty-two degrees, eighty-three degrees. Oh, It'd be like definitely way too hot. So, so now do both of those lakes freeze over in the same way, or like do they not freeze over at all, or do you get like what do you get there in terms of ice fishing? Yeah, so so ice fishing, like Schofield being at the highest elevation, it is one of the first places that freezes. I used to ice fish for trout, like every year I used to be really into ice fishing. And so that was like one of the first places that did freeze in the state. And so around like Thanksgiving, I was like, I'm on that, you know. Um, but for example, like Pineview doesn't usually get like probably like safe ice until like 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 New Year's. And it might come off like mid-March or sometime in April, or if this year it might be like closer to May. So there's a big, yeah. obviously a big difference between different water bodies. Yeah. And, and no year is ever the same here, like at all. Um, like I, I hear a lot of, like just a lot of your traditional musky fisheries or flowages, they're like, oh my God, it dropped a foot. And like, people are like, don't know what to do. I'm like, I've fished three days this week and it's dropped like seven feet in these three days I fished. What does that do to boat launches? It just makes everything kind of a shit show. It's like exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can only imagine. I mean, yeah. yeah. So like our, like our boat ramps are like some of, some of our reservoirs, it's like a quarter mile long, you know, to get all the way down there. Biggest problem is they don't freaking maintain them right now. Yeah. Pine Pine View is a shit show, like an absolute shit show. Dude, this is awesome. I know. <laughs> like I'm, I know. I'm, I mean, I'm, we do. I mean, I don't deal with the fluctuations like Nick does here. Like Lake Taps, they're starting to lower it right now already for the winter time. But they just do it for the winter time. Nick has to deal with it all year round. Sometimes, all of a sudden, hey, ninety degrees out, everybody's watering their lawn, and, and it's taking a bunch bunch of water from pine that's well, what's happening it's, like, it's time it's, for it's like the second harvest of alfalfa you know and we're gonna suck it down again and it's weird like you'll just you'll be driving you know up up like by the spillway to the to the boat launch and you get to the canyon and some days you're like oh wow it's flowing really really good and then you'll just be like oh it's turned off hmm yeah that's and wild. they don't give you any notice like they don't say hey we're gonna be here you know um, like not per se, like if you're like one of the water shareholders, you right. know, right. 
and that's probably public knowledge if you really wanted to and you can you can check like you know i could look and and i and i do per se i used to pay a lot more attention to all that stuff like the usgs you know gate surveys and all that stuff when i was fishing rivers a lot but now i'm just kind of looking at what's coming coming in usually to a reservoir so let's kind of move forward a little bit here because i want to ask like you guys just fish this your chapters uh i guess championship or you know your your chapter chapter tournament yeah yeah like an annual tournament so this is this and that's in, in three years due to both covid and low water levels. That well, means, that's, that's what I was just going to say. Like, you know, where did you have the, the event? And do you plan that knowing that, hey, we may have these water fluctuations and, you know, we may have issues? Um. So so I'm actually, I'm our, I'm our tournament director. So I have to have like all the paperwork in by March and submitted for the year, Um, you know, and then, and then go from there. Uh, so, so yeah, yeah, you just, you, we just kind of have to plan it and then just have like the caveat, like per conditions, like there's, there's really not much else we can do because we have to plan so far ahead. So you have to plan so far ahead last year, uh, ran into that issue of low water and we're also running into other issues like, uh, like access to Pine View, um, so Before, was was the tournament pardon. held on one on one body of water? Yeah, correct. Pine View was was held on Pine View Reservoir. And how many how many anglers are there in 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 this? How many boats do we have day one, Ryan? Do we have twelve boats day one? And then like give it a little bit. We have almost a hundred members part of our chapter. Okay. Um, not all within Utah. We've got Washington members. We've got a Wisconsin member. We've got Colorado members. We've got a Montana member. Um, who else am I missing, Nick? Do we have a couple of Idaho too? I think Wyoming. I think. Yeah, or Wyoming. So I mean, we're pretty diverse. Um, and obviously, I stay in contact with everybody. I'm our. Uh, I do our chapter writings for Muskie's Inc. magazine every other month. Um, so I'm kind of really in tune with what's going on there, and. I've shared some stuff that's going on here as well, too. But the main focus is Utah as well. Um, going into our chapter tournament, obviously, it's the first year after three due to different circumstances. I think we had 12 boats in day one. So our ch- tournament is split between two days, and each day is its own tournament. Just in case people can make one day, they can't make the other. Everybody has their own obligations. That's cool. Um so we had 12 teams, I think 20, well, 25, because we fished together, uh, all three of us. And then uh, kind of going into day one, it, it's been rough. Just before getting there, Nick and I were always in contact. Nick has a good group of friends there. We've got some great anglers in our chapter. Fishing has been rough. It's been rough up here for that same how period big of is, time. How it's, big is Pine View? Mine is like six thousand eight hundred surface acres. That's that's pretty big. And and yeah. when 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 Ryan says fishing's been tough, like let me elaborate with like some humility. 
I was on like day <laughs> six with with no fish to show for it. And like everybody I everyone else that I was networked with was like pretty much the same. It was like a where are the fish? What's going on? Because we we never have water temperatures or elevation that we had or have currently. You know, like for example, I think Pine View was like at, you know, like 83 or like 85 percent. Typically it's like more like 60 percent full this time of year so like having like weeds and submerged brush and road beds and structure and creek channels typically for our tournaments you're you're for the most part like down all that stuff's gone you're in a basin for the most part you're fishing just kind of the like the main bowl of the reservoir at that point so it really made for for challenging fishing in very unique conditions that nobody has seen before. And to go from the lowest water levels historically to the highest, yeah, that's going to give these fish more options of where they're going to be too. Yeah, and and the, the topography of of Pine View is interesting because like it it per se like eighty percent it has like double the surface acreage that it's going to have that when it gets down to like, like 60%. So, so we're at that point where like you still have 12 feet of water in the bays where typically those bays would just be dry, like completely dry. And it really makes fishing. I, I wouldn't say easier, but it, it, it takes a lot of the guesswork out of where could they be. Yeah, I mean, yeah, does man. it does it change the the fish's uh I guess action considering that you know the lake is drawn down that it's that far down like their typical habitat would have to be changing on a daily basis. For sure. And and I would say that like for them, like if you're gonna say like take a tiger muskie that lives to like five years old, the majority of its life's gonna be spent with no option for structure at Pine View. Like it, it's gonna, it's gonna be like, they're, they're probably gonna have like a, like a three month period each year that they actually have like brush or weeds to be in. The rest, the rest of the time, it's gonna be lower and it's just gonna be pretty much like sand transitions or rock or- but What are these fish holding to? A lot of them are pretty pelagic to be honest, like was what I'm finding. Um, I used to really not be a troller. There's a, a lot of jokes with all of our friends about me and not being a troller. Um, I troller. Yeah. And, <laughs> and really, really just the, the, the fish, fish is nature at Pine View because of the typical drawn down water. They, they really pull out onto bait pods a lot and they don't orient to anything in particular and a lot of those fish are more active fish that are eating i think i think a lot of those fish that you're running into shallower or like digesting or warming or you know the if they are looking for food they're kind of the minority because there's really no food up there but you drive around and it's just it's like you know ryan like what, what would you say your opinion is of like the amount of like bait in pine view 
It was a little bit different this year, I think, than the last time. Last time I was there in 2020, we saw a lot more bait up tight to structure and cover. I think it was a lot more spread out this year, and we did see a lot more out in open water than I've ever seen, um, and big schools of bait too, which was wild. Um, and like Nick said, we they had a pretty good bite last year where it was it was not structure. You weren't on structure. There was no structure, and so yeah. everything was you know like honestly, I would have to say our really low water years are probably the more consistent fishing and like the least fun to fish really what do you mean yeah, because you're just you're grinding dirt or you're fishing open water there aren't there's no weeds there's no structure there's no brush there's no there's no uh really like traditional breakdown of a spot or you even see like any of the canadian shield stuff and they're like okay i'm looking for sand i'm looking for rocks where there's weeds transitions to open water it's like no, it's you. You have this diverse fishery that pretty much loses all of its fingers and loses all of its structure and everything, and it's kind of just turns into this like little kidney shape. This, and this, and and at that point, like I'm grinding, like I'm grinding like crankbaits in the dirt, and then like when they clear, I'm getting bit. So I'm just fishing like or or like mud or murk lines is a really big thing at Pineview because there's so much boat traffic. And it gets just everything churned up in certain points and areas. And then the wind always comes up and then you'll just have these like massive murk lines. And so you'll have no structure in the water. You'll have no weeds. You won't have anything. It's like, you better have a storm. You better have a wind. Or I've actually learned to like embrace the damn like wreck boaters and been like, yeah, let's, let's get this changed up. Cause it's stagnant. Like give the same thing we see. Oh, go ahead, Nick. Sorry. I just said like like the Merc lines, like give them something to hunt, give them somewhere to push bait, give somewhere bait to like want to go like feed because it is churned up, you know, give like like Merc lines are a, a, a big, big deal. I got to thank Joe Wisner for that one because back in the day I came from just fly fishing and I'm just like, oh God, dude, I'm not fishing this like murky shit. There's no way I have no confidence. Everything has to be visual. And he's over there just like fishing some traditional musky bait, like fast and aggressive. And I'm like, there's no way they can't fucking see this. We're wasting our time. And, you know, been really successful. My first bucktail fish came at dark in one of those Merc lines on like the third crank with him. And so it's just every year is a completely different year. This Like it's it, never, ever the same. This made it sound to me like that situation is like a caster's nightmare, right? Like I hear that and I'm thinking myself, I'm thinking I'm like licking my chops because I want to get out there and troll and I want to hit, you know, that open water stuff and look for bait. That's just the way I like to fish. But like, are you, are you still casting the majority of the time when it's like this or do you have to kind of revert to trolling? Um, no, like, and, and there's like, I, I, I pretty strongly feel that there's, there's always like a few fish, like making a living doing something different than other fish. Right. Like kind of like, like people, like we all have completely different jobs. We make a living a different way. Like you're not going to have a fishery where every single fucking fish is doing the same thing. True. Like you might have like, you might have the, the majority doing a or B, but you're always going to have some, what you might have the majority eating J 13s. 
Yeah, that can happen. I've been there before. Eight-thirteen <laughs> firebite, dude. I'm not above that. Just like I'm not above trolling it up. Whereas Nick, <laughs> Nick loves the J13s. Or eating tough shit. Nick, Nick, Nick Fiesler, sorry. Oh, that's a... Do they do those things actually... Come out and, I mean, Donnie's favorite bait. It is. Oh, Tigers, dude, I... Tigers fucking love them. For anybody mm. that can't see Swanky right now, there was a lot of, like, disgust look on his face. Hey, I, just look, shaking his head. I don't have a problem with them. I just... Here's my thing with tough sheds. It only comes down. I'm sure they work. It just stems from a long joke because for years, Kellen and I have fished together and he has this one tough shed that he always tries to tell me is a fish catcher. And when things get tough, he's like, Oh, I'm going to put on old left eye. She's a fish catcher. And it has never once caught a fish <laughs> ever. But he continues I, to call old, it, old left he eye. He continues to go to old left eye in, in the clutch. And, and I think old left eyes, if he ever did catch a fish, those days are long gone. <laughs> you, think, you, think, you, think, you think good old left eyes, like, like he's like hitting the sunset. It's retirement. Yeah, yeah. He's lost it's his time step. to yeah. take him to pasture. Yeah. Just give, send him out like Joe Exotic. He's just yeah, out there exactly. going left. <laughs> exactly. I can't catch fish on tough shads, man. I've tried. I sold them all. I got disgusted <laughs> with them. Don't, don't ask Nick how many. Okay, yeah, guys, like, hey, if if you're afraid of catching fish, I wouldn't fish a tough shad. Old <laughs> 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 left eye. Right, right. I have like some good jokes with like tough shads. When I went and fished with them uh, last year in Washington. Um, it's just like it's a confidence bait for me, and I'm I'm not like really like years and years heavy into trolling. I probably this year is probably by far the the heaviest that I that I've trolled and made like all out like an honest effort, you know, and put my like casting even kind of like backseat just just to keep the continuity to be able to learn and not be like switching between the two, and uh, um, in in Washington. With Ryan, we like trolled a lot, and I was just like, "I'm fishing, I'm fishing like a, a fire tiger tough shed." Ryan's like, I "Don't eat fire tigers," and I haven't been getting any tough shed bites, but I was earlier in the year, and it's like that ended up getting like a crappie, a crappie one because Ryan likes natural colors, and he's and he's right. Like from what I experienced, the taps fish like didn't want to eat what I wanted to force feed them. And so, <laughs> did you feel like did, did you feel like fishing in Washington was different than fishing like a different kind of oh completely different yeah 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 completely different especially because uh um even though taps is a reservoir it's like it's it's way more diverse and it's got like islands and it has massive weed beds and weed structure mixed with deep areas like it's 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 definitely completely different for sure. And that was probably the coolest thing about taps for me is like just these massive epic weed beds. And so tell us about the uh, tell us about the uh, tournament and like how weed. you guys did as as the team, uh, how your team did. Yeah, I'll let I'll let Ryan give you the breakdown. He's he's more accurate. Oh, and you were the captain. I was well, you know, oh, captain. My why don't captain. you let Why don't you let Lynn give us the breakdown? Yeah, yeah Lynn. Oh, geez. <laughs> Uh, here we go. Where did we stop? Well, the we first. Thing... Well, we just talk about the... let's just talk about the trip. 
because that has like probably more continuity than per se like the tournament so they so they came in on friday before the tournament and uh we got provisions and everything and when we went to the airbnb with the bus shower yeah the bus bus shower best shower oh best not really (laughs) dude his eyes lit up he was like what the heck is that (laughs) what's a bus shower what shower what a bidet (laughs) (laughs) so what what was wrong with the shower lynn how did you describe it nick i've dated chicks wetter than that shower dude like it just just it is it was ryan 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 was like like i just would have insulted somebody if i wanted to get spit on like it just was like the saddest shower ever it was the saddest shower ever lynn lynn would have like showered faster if somebody just held a water bottle over you and just it was so bad it was was horrible Someone um, talked about my Airbnb like that. I'd be like, "What? The, I need to get. I need to fix that shit." Everything else was great. Everything else they was great. Have that, they didn't have that in the description. Yeah, but and everything and, was great. Other than that, all of a sudden, the first person went. Who went to take a shower first? Lynn did, and she tried me. to wash her hair. Yeah, and it took me like a half an hour <laughs> to get it all rinsed out. Yep. Oh it, man, it was it was bad. Yeah, it was really bad. The reason we got the Airbnb, Nick's about an like hour, hour away from Pine View, so we were like, "Well, let's make it easy on ourselves. We don't have to drive an hour in the mornings to get up there by seven o'clock to oh, meet yeah. everybody for the tournament and all that." So we did that. I flew in early on Friday. We did ran our grocery runs, picked in the Airbnb, went and went on the lake and kind of worked out some kinks on how we were going to fish. I made sure that I had typical, all typical right reels because Nick's a lefty, so I made sure I had righty reels all set up, ready to go. So when you guys set this up, is this tournament, can you fish three in the sense that like you could run nine rods or what, what are the rod restrictions? No. So, so, uh, so like state, state rules are two rods per angler. Okay. We fish that outside of tournament hours, but but tournament rules are um a maximum of, of four rods at a time. Okay. So, so we could still you know, there's no games. and it's not like super serious. We're all in it to have some fun, everything like really that. It's like so more it's of like fun. a fundraiser and social event for the chapter, is really what it is. And so then, uh, Lynn, you want Lynn, you want to continue with uh, with your recap? Yeah, so Friday night we went to the lake to kind of see what was going on. Nick hadn't been out that week. Um, no, I went we out. didn't catch anything. Oh, you did? Yeah, I did. Um, then first thing in the morning, um, one of our chapter members caught a 36 and a half, I think. Yeah, it was like a 36 and a half. Like the first 15 minutes of the tournament. Yeah, and it was our chapter president and his wife. Uh, they were the last ones to take off, and they went to a spot that everybody else drove past, and, and they caught one in the first fifteen minutes. And we were getting a little bit of updates, and we were like, "Oh shit, we're already behind the eight ball." <laughs> so it was. Yeah, but you uh, have to be thinking if you, if there's a fish caught in the first ten minutes, you got to be thinking 
man, they're 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 on. You know, it's we're it's gonna everyone's gonna put some fish. Yeah, absolutely. Let's kill it. What was that? Yeah, name? we were. I said it's window licking time. It's window licking time. <laughs> I get the grief because I I love my moon phases and my windows and plays a part for me. Yeah, so we casted most of the morning, and then we're finally like, "Well, we haven't seen any casting. I guess we'll put some rods in and see what happens." And finally, later in the afternoon, um, we caught a twenty-three incher. Yeah, Ooh, whoop whoop. And that put, us, um, that put us in second place, by the way. Yeah, yeah, we were in second place because it has to be a thirty-incher to count. But since there was no other fish at that time caught. We were in the running, so it counted bumping subs. This was a fish okay. Donnie would have bumped 1000 yes. percent. <laughs> yes, well, and something Thank cool you about guys. all the fish that's that 27 and three quarters. Mm-hmm. Seven, all six. the fish that we caught while we were there, none of them had tags, so it was cool. We got to tag them and send them back on their way. Um, so in the future, maybe we'll see them get caught again so we were feeling pretty good and headed back into the launch and we kind of heard mumblings of this other team caught one like within the last like three minutes or something crazy like that and it wasn't even a legal one either it was a 26 incher so we got bumped out never been so pissed off to be beat (laughs) out by a 26 incher (laughs) you got beat by a sub and i've I've never been so stoked (laughs) 23 in my life I was like, I was like, 23. Fuck yeah, we're on the board. There's like an hour left. Like, like it was like, it was sad. It was, it was, like, it was pretty sad there. And then, yeah, we uh, dropped them off. They were helping one of our other friends. Uh, Lynn jumped on his boat to help him because he was with his son to get off the water and everything. And my friend, my friend goes by and, and he's like, Did you hear somebody just? Caught one with three minutes to go, and I'm like, "Oh shit!" They're like 26 inches, and I just I sat there for a minute. It was kind of interesting to like process that one. Like, <laughs> like I was stoked on a 23 and disappointed with a 26. What is going on in my life right now? And that's the thing, like in that 23 to reevaluate my priorities right yeah, now. Yeah, that 23 incher was like the first fish I've seen in like six trips. <laughs> <laughs> Really humbling, you know. Really humbling. <laughs> day two was a little bit better. Ryan, you tell day two. Well, so after the tournament, we have a gathering or whatever. The day one, since we separated into two different tournament tournament days, give out reward uh, awards and whoever win their money and stuff like that. We do fundraiser boxes, which thanks again, Ryan, for getting me hooked up with Todd. Todd helped us out of hugely on our fundraiser boxes and another shout out to freaking team Rhino, Jeff. He really took care of us. Um, so we have fundraiser boxes for that. Uh, next day we had, so the first day we had 12 anglers, only four fish were caught. Only two of those fish were over 30 inches. So it was tough. And we've got some really good anglers in our group. Day two ended up being 11 teams um and i'm trying to think when the first fish because it was almost like one o'clock we started at yeah. eight we it got was like to the one o'clock the first little, fish we were a little, yeah I, I just said yeah we got to a point where like we were a little worried 
no, no fish fish had been reported and we had like two three hours left yeah and we were like me and nick and then we're all thinking like okay what haven't we tried what are we going to do different we got to try something different there nobody's been so we went to an area that there was only one other team fishing there but they were casting and there was no other members there and we first passed we we solidified a fish in the bag a beautiful 42 incher that uh put us on top and we were still stressing somebody else finally caught a fish or no they caught a fish just before we got that one and we're yeah. like oh shoot and then uh we caught ours about two o'clock and we didn't hear anything else until the end well the same team that caught a fish in the last two minutes the day prior caught a fish within 15 minutes of the end on day two i call we shenanigans yeah. i call bullshit shenanigans <laughs> shenanigans so we renamed them the buzzer beaters <laughs> and uh when we got in we didn't know how big anybody that last fish was we're like oh shit is this going to happen to us again but no we uh we solidified that so there was only three fish caught on day two with 11 teams hey you, took- you guys came you guys uh took home the took home the belt championship yep. got, belt yeah nick That's got the matters. big fish for that one so that was that was fun <clears throat> it was cool yeah that was fun and we caught a fish both days, and not there was only one other team that did that. The the buzzer yeah, beaters. Buzzer beaters. <laughs> yeah, They're the only other team that. Yeah, it's, and then, it's... but even better, Owen. You ready? Out of a pontoon. Ooh, Luffy style. Seriously, big Luffy oh. style. That's what we call that. I love it. Thinking outside the box. <clears throat> the front rod. No, I'm just joking. It wasn't the front rod. Front rods for <laughs> life. Hell no. I don't want anything to do with that nonsense. <laughs> yeah, so that was day two. We uh the mus- three musketeers, we 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 did good. We, we that fish was pretty crazy though when we went to net it. Oh man. Jumped clear into the boat. I was on the bag and I luckily dropped that thing down as fast as I could just so hooks wouldn't get caught in the bag and we had to regroup and we got it in the bag though. Yeah, that fish was pretty wild. We were we were we were in uncharted territory and so we were hanging up quite a bit. And so I was just Ryan was actually driving at the time because he was like, I have a hunch, go over here. I was like, all right, you run the boat, I'll do the baits. Like let's 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 go check it out. So we kept snagging. So I think we snagged like three times on like that first pass. And we that spot. Yeah. Yeah. And then and I just kind of kept bringing baits up and cleaning them and bringing baits up and cleaning them. And we were kind of having some higher unexpected spots and like brush and stuff. And um, honestly, when that fish ate, it, it ate and dumped it so hard. I, I thought I was just going to go clear, clear the rod again. So I walk out, pop it out of the holder and it immediately like head shook and then like went airborne. And it was like, a, oh shit, we got a live one. <laughs> Like, like total, just like zero to hero moment, you know, like just grinding for days, nothing to show for it. And it's like, I'll just clear this rod. Uh Oh, like, here we go. Isn't that the irony of musky fishing though? Of course. That's like, that's just the way it is. And And if you're not into that or can't stomach that, then that's not for you. Agreed. 
Yeah, couldn't agree more with that. Yeah, so so that was awesome. But probably like the probably like the that that was definitely like a highlight of the trip. But um, they didn't leave until until Wednesday morning, so we fished uh, Monday and Tuesday as well. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and we didn't really have like a whole lot of options. Thought about maybe going down to Schoolfield, like the water temperatures are like going down. Um, you know, the fishing at Pineview seemed to be changing slightly for the better. And so we just made the decision that it was just going to be the best to um, just come back to my house, regroup, pick up my dog's scooter and go go back the next day. Um, and went back, made a few adjustments. Um, it was interesting. They were The bait was definitely orienting to like any sort of like old creek bed or river channel so ran stuff a little bit different um ryan i i really like uh shad baits in general for like my down rods um they're really predictable um i like tough shads a lot i i also really like uh brian mcnano's like bm shad with the 2x lip it's like the like the double diver lip calls it like the 2x um like a really big coffin bill and that bait thumps really well it seems to attract bigger fish so i kind of like to keep it in the spread and so we were kind of going through some colors um i've kind of been on you know hotter perch type colors and ryan's always like changing out something and trying more natural and different things and and he's like hey have you ever fished this lemon head one and i'm like nope i haven't and he's like we're gonna run that lemon head I'm like, okay, that's kind of like a wild card color. I'm like, well, I like it. And so uh, made a couple passes, approached this river channel different. And uh, yeah, pretty quick. I'd say like within like the first hour of fishing, um, we got that fish. Lynn got that one. How big was that one, Lynn? Was that like 36 or seven? Of course. Right. I was trying to keep the dog's nails tippy-tapping off the recording. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I think it was 30, like 36 and a half. Yeah. And so, so we got that fish and then we, we really from there kind of like a typical struggle day, um, really worked that area where we got that fish and the other fish during the tournament and got to that point where you're just like, we look at each other and we're, we all decide we're like, yeah, we've probably tapped this resource, you know, we should probably go, go somewhere else and check out some other stuff. And so, um, went somewhere else and, uh ryan was driving the boat at that point i was kind of like boat nap time for me so <laughs> i was kind of hanging out with my dog in the back and uh and ryan weren't you kind of going from like one spot to another and then just kind of found some like suspended bait that you decided to work yeah off a creek trail yep and it was out in deeper water too yeah just off the structure how deep of water are we talking like are you guys fishing 30 feet 50 feet 12 feet well like like trolling like like 40 feet to like nine feet 12 feet yeah okay. like when we got those two fish in the, the tournament ones we got those two fish were probably one was in like second, 20 uh, one, one was in like 10 feet and the other one was in like 15 maybe maybe yeah and then we kind of switched it up that next day. We got that one fish in the same area. We got the bigger fish in the tournament and we beat the hell out of it. And then, like Nick said, we went to a different area, same, similar with Creek channels, but, and uh, we kind of went through all that and finding bait and everything. And like Nick said, I was 
kind of cutting across, going to finish this one pass and then get over to this next area and kind of beat it up. And those are some of my favorite bites when you're kind of just a little bit in open water, but not. And all of a sudden that rod just goes unexpectedly as like one of the coolest bites. Yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoy that. <laughs> That's super mm-hmm. cool. And then uh, did we miss another fish that day? I think we had a couple other bites that day too. Yeah, yeah. Which which was weird because the the bites that we had been getting were definitely staying pinned. We weren't getting like rips or like mystery rips or like missing fish. And then it changed like the end of Monday and into Tuesday because Tuesday when it was like time to get Ryan fish, they both got off. Yeah. But now were you guys trolling or casting? Trolling. The only, we only moved like two fish casting. Ryan, Ryan moved one, one fish casting. And I moved a, I moved a pretty big fish. Yeah. Well, and the yeah, other but... time that we wanted to cast, the wind was kicked up yeah, and no. it was. Oh yeah. yeah. That's another thing with Pine View. That's another big thing with Pine View is the wind coming through the Canyon and stuff in the afternoons, but. It's, it it's, was it's usually predictable, but we've kind of had some interesting weather. So it's been not very windy. And then all of a sudden when it is windy, it's been coming like later in the day. So that kind of like let's troll and then cast the evening is just not been a good plan, but it took several days to find that out. Dude, the other thing with this is the variables. Like it's not, it's not just the, cause I mean, we deal with obviously like everybody deals with, with the wind changes and the weather and stuff like that. But I mean, you guys are already dealing with like tough water conditions and going from like the lowest to the highest and, and stuff like that. I mean, how, how do you, yeah, I can't imagine. I agree, Ryan. I can't imagine like, like having how... to deal with the water fluctuations on top of what we already deal with, which is, you know, just typical bait movement. You know, our yeah, water like... doesn't fluctuate more than no, a but couple we... of feet. You know, we know, like, you know, if you're going to fish a talk or you're going to get that big north wind in the afternoon, you know, that's part of it. And you kind of game plan around that. But whenever, whenever it's like this and it's completely like unpredictable, like Nick, how do you, like, how do you guys stay in the game there? Cause you talked about going a couple of days here without fish. You guys went through this tough tournament. Like, how do you stay, what keeps you in the game, keeps you wanting to, to keep going? Because I, I think that kind of gets overlooked sometimes. Like, we never want to say it's a grind because this stuff's, we're supposed to be fishing for fun. Yeah. But there's always that like mental beat down. Yeah. I think, I, I think honestly, like, I couldn't have done that like 10 years ago. I think I'm, I think I'm conditioned really at this point, you know, like, um, I think that's kind of like the evolution of like fishing, right? Like if you want to get somebody into fishing, like you said, like how you really like, like the family element and getting people into it and how like Lynn got into it. It's like, well, Lynn might have a different opinion if she had like somebody that sucked at musky fishing and like took her out like 15 times and never saw a fish. Right. Like that's going to skew like a new person's opinion. And then, then there's like the whole growth. So like, you kind of have to like, in the beginning, like you want to catch fish, then you want to catch bigger fish or the fish. So I I think, I think years ago, I I probably honestly would have struggled and it would have been like, Oh, that was like a shitty trip. Like we only caught a couple of fish. It was, it was rough. I, I think 
I think my outlook over the years and being conditioned musky fishing is probably like what's changed and how much I, I just enjoy now, like, uh, like the people and it sounds like cheesy, but it's like, it's the effort, it's the chase. It's that, um, you know, high highs and low lows and you can't have the high highs without like low lows. And I think that's the grind that we talk about, right? Like those are the lows of what are they doing? Or like when Ryan says, like second guessing yourself and, and trying to, you know, trying to like persevere and, and, and meet that struggle face on. And there's nothing better than coming out the other side of that. And especially if you, if you have a hunch or if you just use your deductive reasoning skills, like we had to and go, okay, like they're not here, they're not here, they're not here, they're not here. And like, it, it becomes a point of like, well, if they're not in all these spots, then there's very few left. And sometimes that takes hours and that takes days and that takes a long period of time. And once you, you have success on that, like there's, there's probably no better feeling than that in fishing for me. I think and as- I will go ahead and say that, that you wouldn't have that better. There wouldn't be that great feeling if you didn't have those low lows, like you said, like it's all about a, a weighing of, of, you know, the 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 pros and cons of things and you wouldn't appreciate any of the highs if you didn't have the lows if you only had lows you would never appreciate the highs you know it, like you have to have both of them and musky fishing just happens to provide both of those and they can happen within moments of each other yeah like it, like like things can change on a diamond for you you know when it decides to change or the time time yeah. is right. And I was, I was definitely in, in the beginning of, of my tiger musky fishing career. Um, I was very fortunate. Um, I think I, I hooked my first tiger musky in like the first 15 minutes of like fishing for them ever. And then I hooked my second, like five minutes after that. And I, I landed like my first in like 30 minutes and then caught like three other fish that day. Yeah. That'll, that'll kind of. Yeah, so your warp your idea of what it totally did. The Dunning Dunning Kruger, exactly. Well, this shit's easy. Yeah, so I didn't I didn't appreciate it at all, you know. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. And then, and then over the years, as things changed and that fishery dwindled, and uh, it it became like pretty apparent after like going to other fisheries and then going to like Minnesota and Wisconsin and fishing for pures and other stuff. It's like, wow, man, you, that was like kind of handed to you on a silver platter. Like you didn't work for that. Like I I would go back to myself, honestly, and look myself in the face and be like practically shooting fish in a barrel, you know, Dan Marino, (laughs) Dan Marino. What is it? 1983. He made it to the super bowl. And he said to himself, oh, this is no big deal. I'm, it's my rookie year. I'm going to make it here. God knows how many times during my career. Never made it back again. Yeah. Yeah. And so, Ray Finkel. Yeah, I was thinking of Ray Finkel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you think, you think you're going to have out. so many opportunities. <laughs> you think you're going to have all these opportunities. And it's just life doesn't happen that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, Dan. So, uh. Yeah. So I think, I think it's been, it's been a good journey for me. Um, and I've 
I've really enjoyed it. And, and I've changed a lot as like a person and an angler over, over the years. But uh, yeah, like some of the trips I do and the things that I do, or I'm, I'm probably like more stubborn and hard headed than I used to be. Um, now, do you to... go on trips outside of Utah and whatnot? Like uh, do you, do you go to any yeah. of the traditional musky waters? Yeah. Um, yeah, I have um, not anything conventional tackle like Minnesota and Wisconsin trips that I've done previously were, you know, mainly like around like the Hayward area with like my buddy Chris Willen and fly fishing in particular. I haven't had like the opportunity to go back. Um, I went to Lac Sewell with another chapter member, my, my good friend Clark Bailey. Um, this year we drove from Utah, you know, so like 24 hours. Holy shit. Yeah. To Lac Sewell. And then we got on a houseboat and did like another like seven hours to get to like the northeast area and then plunk down for like 10 days so so that, that's seven, my seven hours on a houseboat just to get to the area where you are gonna stay yeah yeah but then we even like moved it like moved it like a ways up like mid-trip to like by ourselves to like where we wanted to be jeez so, yeah, and this was your this was your first time going to like a shield lake too. Yeah, well, right? yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was that was my first time uh, in Canada or a shield lake. It's just that's insane. It's completely yeah. It's completely completely different than anything I've ever known. Yeah, an amazing place. Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to kind of oh, circle back again. Why not? Circle back around. You, you guys had talked about you know Ryan driving the boat there, and Ryan had a hunch, right? I want to I want to talk about this hunch thing because you know we all know like the more time you spend out there, the more time you spend into muskies. Like you obviously develop, you learn. Like what? Like Ryan, talk about that. Like how how many times do you guys um, and maybe speak to like how you can get to that point as a musky fisherman to be like you know, you're out there and nothing's going and there's, there might be a time to switch something. Some of us have no idea what that is. You know, is it like Swinky? We talk about this, like colors. Oh, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to switch colors. Cause that's going to do it. Right. Like talk to me about the hunch. Like what, how do you develop? I don't even know what I want to ask here. Like, how do you develop to get to that point to be like, you know, this could potentially work or let's try something different. Catching fish. That's how. And Ryan's good at that. Yeah. I mean, and we and like I said, Nick and I are very diverse. We we fish differently. And that's kind of the thing about having a good good boat partner or friend or whatever. If you go on trips, is you guys think differently. Yes, there's times where, like Nick said, we get a little bit hard headed and we're like, Yeah, we know this works. We know this works. This is my water, whatever it is. And it's the same thing when Nick was here. Nick said, well, hey, why don't we try this? Why don't we try that? And those things have worked. And it's like, you got to get out of your head that the only thing that you do catches fish. Somebody else is catching fish. There's, I think, um, I don't know, I'm not backlash, but I think Greg talks about all the time, like if you've never fished a PMTT tournament, that is the best way to learn something because there is always fish biting somebody is going to catch a fish and figure out some type of pattern. And I think that's, that's when you're very diverse with your, your fishing partner is you can think outside the box and say, Hey, have we tried this? Have we tried that? Have you ever tried this before? Especially being that we're from different areas as well. 
Um, and that's, I don't know, I think that's how I've kind of came to that conclusion. And I'll be stubborn and hot-headed in, in my own home waters too, where I'm beating the same freaking spots knowing, hey, these fish are going to be there. We just have to be there when they are. But after five, six, seven times you're fishing that same spot, nothing's showing. When do you give up to actually go and try something else? And that's hard to do. That's hard to do. And especially over um, a certain amount of years, you know, hey, I've caught fish here. I catch fish here, catch fish here every single year at this time. Well, this year's different. Something changed. They're not there. And when do you finally give in and say, all right, I'm not going to beat that up anymore. Yeah. I mean, Long I, answer. no, that's, that's great. I want to, I want to ask Lynn a question here too, because you know, you've got, you got six years going here. You spent some time with Ryan and, and Nick, like what would you say is like one of the, the biggest things that you've learned musky fishing that's kind of helped you know, your success on the water? Good question. I think honestly, the biggest thing that Ryan's helped me learn is patience and, um, musky fishing. I think we all are kind of stubborn every musky fisherman. Um, but if you're not out there, then you're not going to catch the fish. And you got to be there when they're biting or you're not going to catch them. So I think time on the water. Sorry, my dog's barking. It's all good. It's all right. We love dogs. Hello, Kingsley. You like dogs? Kingsley. Dogs. <laughs> He's oh, saying hi to Scooter. Dogs. Well, I'll add on to that, though. But like what she's saying is the patience. I mean, I don't think I have patience. I'll tell you that, but it just more, like we said, stubborn. Um, and I think having two people, at least two people in the boat together, you got to compliment one of each other. It doesn't matter if I'm fishing with Lynn, just me and Lynn, or if I'm just fishing with Nick and I. Couldn't agree more. Yep. There's, you, you get some anglers that you try and fish with and they want to throw the same bait. I can't stand that. Like I need me to either. find me. What was I, like me either like the the bite replicators like the the this. that bite is like solidified 100 yeah. yeah. i'm not throwing the same bait and that's one of the things like all my buddies i grew up with fishing back in illinois that was the same thing we would all ensure that we're throwing something different until we solidify the bite and i think that's hard for some people because some people get in the boat and they just want to catch the fish I don't give a shit who catches the fish. The boat catches the fish. That's one of my biggest things. I love watching people catch fish in front of me. As long as that boat and I'm I'm putting us on a spot where there's a fish, I'm happy. That's all that matters. And I think Nick is the same exact way. As long as the boat's catching fish and he's doing his job to put us on the fish, he's happy as well. I'm, I'm just happy with anything that gives me any sort of piece of the puzzle or like information. So um yeah like we we all know we've all had those those times where somebody's like really that you're gonna fish that and then it's like oh that's the game changer like i'm the fool oh left eye yeah oh left, oh, left eye oh left eye smoked him tonight and oh yeah I'm, I'm waiting any think, day now any i day. think we all have to challenge each other 
And, you know, if you're sitting there and casting your ass off and you haven't moved a fish, it's like, what are we going to do? We got to do something yeah, different. If they're, if they're not giving you a sign, you're not even seeing one, nothing. It, that can be the hardest part. If you're not even getting one to follow, at least give you something. It's like, oh, shit, what am I doing? And I think, Ryan, you're you're at this point now, too, being a, a newer boat owner. I can tell already when you guys are catching fish, you don't care about catching it yourself. You're you're more motivated to get the boat to catch fish. Like you're, you took your dad out, you're taking D out and all that. That's what it's about. Yeah, man, I totally get that. And like that's I, I've got I've got to a point now. And keeping in mind, like, I haven't caught that many fish, but, like, I've caught enough muskies to, like, you know, I want to go out there. And like Nick said, like, that's my goal right now is to keep trying to find puzzle pieces and and be able to get better and and put this thing together so that when I take somebody out, like my dad, you know, we've got a shot to catch a fish. Like, that's – I was just kind of curious because, again, like, our target audience is is a lot of guys kind of – newer in the sport you know we just talked owen brought this up ethan from bigfoot baits you know i've been talking to ethan since that podcast we're, we're he's been out there yeah the excitement level the excitement is like is like the roof, and it's like it's just it gives you like an energy and then we have these like little texts back and forth you know like he was out last night and he hooked hooked a fish and lost it both side and then you know, he texted me this morning, was like, I'm, I'm heading back out. And then he took a break and then he went out this evening. And it's like to, to see to see that and, and to understand that, you know, this podcast is, is a vehicle that some of these newer anglers are using, you know, to listen to. Like, I think it's important to me, like, number one, you guys share the struggles and, and the pain the growing pains, not necessarily pain, but the growing pains that come along with musky fishing, but like also, you know, the important pieces that, you know, make you a successful musky fisherman. Like Lynn was saying time on the water and patience. Like some people may, may hear that and say, well, you know, that's, that's the, uh, the, I don't want to say stereotypical answer, but that's like the God honest truth. Like you can't catch these fish unless you're out there fishing for them and you're not going to put yourself in a bite window unless you're putting that amount of time on the water. And like Nick, you were saying about going those days without fish, like that's where I'm at right now, dude. I've got my last three or four trips, you know, I've had a couple half days in there, but I've had at least one full day. I haven't even had anything except for the mystery rip, you know, in 17 feet uh, of water yeah. that yeah, you bro. pull that bait up and you go, what the heck was that? Like, you know, it, so oh, yeah. You know what I always tell myself and like, I like, like Ryan and Lynn, when they came in, Ryan was having like the same poor success at home. Like we were both commiserating with like, you know, he was still getting like a few fish here and there, but they were small and sporadic if I remember correctly. And a lot of like no fish days. It's the weirdest part about that. Everything seemed like it was perfect. We had a moon phase in our, in our favor. Water temps were 70 degrees. It was perfect. And these fish yeah. were not showing themselves, and that's what you were. Yeah, and they and they hadn't been, and they hadn't been for a while, and we we just were like, shit, what do you do? And and there's really two things you can do at that point. You can you can give up for your sanity, and just wait for better days, or you can kind of take the little piece of advice I try to always tell myself, and that's it's got to change at this point. It can't suck for twelve days. 
You're six days. Right. At, at some you're point, it's got to change. Like, you're halfway through. Like, just keep going. Just keep pushing. Like, it's the odds are in your favor. The odds are in your favor. Yeah, and that's 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 kind of that's always there in the back of my mind, kind of pushing me forward. And 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 this trip, like, there was a lot of truth to that because I went days with no fish, and then we slowly put together a little bit of a bite. Then we're able to have like, you know a good fish and then get a couple fish the next day. And then, and then even though we didn't get fish the last day, we, we still got opportunities. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that, you know, that was the turn like that. It, it wasn't the best fishing ever, but it was a lot better than what it was. And they felt like massive wins. That fucking 23 got that boat super jazzed. <laughs> You, you the the guys it. on the the muskies on tap guys talked about that a while back that like catching a, a tournament fish it doesn't even matter the size you know it's like it, it is just a different and i've never i i've never experienced that so i can't speak to that at all but you know i to make a 23 inch fish exciting that's pretty cool yeah yeah that's what they were just talking about on their, their last one i heard that too and Congrats to those guys. Absolutely, man. Congrats to those guys, because let let me just take a moment. Like, this is their first full year doing the PMTT, and they won the top gun, uh, like the top team of the year. And that's not like they didn't win any event. It's basically that's kind of like the most consistent team. That's how I kind of like accrued points. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like they basically, caught they, qual- they caught a fish in every event. They qualified, so they pointed in every event, and oh, wow. they didn't win. I think, I think their t- biggest, their highest finish, maybe fifth or fourth. So it wasn't like they, you know. But man, like the consistency to do that on all these different bodies of water that these guys—they're young dudes, man. Fished. Right. Fished these are young dudes. Like these are not guys that have like lifetimers that have all this experience. So for them to go. I give them a lot of credit, man. And and that just goes to show that there's a lot of feel to musky fishing, I think. that, And that oh, goes down again oh, to your, your partner that you're fishing with as well. That's a big yeah. thing. Like when you go on these big trips, Nick experienced that going this year, going to Lock Sewell. You guys have experienced that going to Nip and stuff like that. Yeah, you're going to have those trips where they – they absolutely suck. It's and it beats you. You beat yourself up over it. But if you're fishing with the right person, you're gonna. It, it'll make that. I don't know that loss a little bit less heartening. So, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. And I've said this about me and Nick Fiesler fishing. You know, we've had some tough weeks together, and that's full weeks of just the two of us. Like when we come home, when we got off the water, like we don't go home to our families. Like we sit there and we like look at each other in the face, you know, while we eat dinner. And it's like, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? Like, why aren't we doing this right? <laughs> and uh, and the fact that like we can get through that and we still enjoy it. And I, you know, he's been an amazing boat partner because he's he's always calm. Like when I start to get all worked up and I'm pissed off, like Nick always has a way to kind of be like, don't worry, man. I'm like, yeah, hey, we're we're cool. We're and it always kind of brings me down where if I had like a high strung boat partner at that point who was also just like me, I don't know. You know, I don't, we, we might be at each other's throats. I don't know. Hey, it could always be worse. You could have, you could, yeah, yeah. 
You could always have a boat partner that's unconscious laying on the deck of your boat. <laughs> but then you could bring home shout the chip. Out to, shout out to my boy, Cody Fye. <laughs> yeah, there's been so many times that I've gotten frustrated with myself. I'm frustrated with the fish and I feel like I can't do anything right. Like, I'm just going to give up. And Ryan's just like, just keep going. You know, it'll happen. And I think one night a couple years ago, I was like, I guess the fish just don't like me tonight. And then like the next cast, like, wham, like a 45. (laughs) Why does that always happen? You never never know when it's going to happen. And like, I, and that's, and that's the thing in, in a young angler's mind, like we just talked about, is being more of a team in the boat versus it's all about yourself. Because that's exactly yes. what it was. This was in early years of Lynn's fishing career, let's say. And that's okay. I caught I caught a fish in the back of the boat. I had another one up, try to eat. And that's when she was beating herself up. Well, what the hell? I'm not going to catch one. Boom, light switch changes and she hammers it the biggest fish of the night. It's like you always gotta be somewhat positive, even though you're beating yourself up. Yeah, and I'd I'd like to I'd like to add that that out of all the fishing that I've done for the most part, musky fishing is really like a I look at it as like a team activity. And like, and if you're gonna thrive, and especially like on multi days, like you better be working as a team and pulling in the same direction. And so um, m- most people that have been in the boat with me, like if, if I'm in, especially in my boat um, and I'm struggling, I have no problem verbalizing that to Ryan and saying like, well, I'm tapped. Like, do you have any ideas? I'm thinking about going back to this same place and doing the same thing, unless you can come up with something different, you know? Um, and if you can open that dialogue and you, you have another, another person with you, that's that's willing to participate like it can be a really like beautiful thing and and you can really turn the corner or have average days become like epic days um mm-hmm. you know not not just in the the camaraderie aspect but but in the like pulling together in the same direction right and fishing i think a, a big thing is complementary baits like to each other we've all been in boats we've all we've all fished with new partners or people and had to adjust and you go okay well my game plan was throwing this apparently like we're just going to be moving too fast to throw this jerk right you know like it looks like it's bucktails in top water today or boy he's he's gonna cast he's gonna cast like you know in a total like strange direction that yeah, For instance, if yeah. I like to fish out of the back. I like to fish out of the stern of my boat. And like if someone gets on the in the front of the boat and they're casting back towards yeah. the stern. It's a shit. I'm show. like, I'm like, wait a second. No, no, it's 10 and 2, 10 and 2, yeah. 10 and 2, yeah. 10 and 2. Yeah. And so so I've just learned like over the over the years, especially like if I fish with new people, it's like, okay, what's the game plan? Like, especially if I'm, I'm on somebody else's boat, it's like, what are you expecting me to do? Like, what's the role here? You know, um, because some people are different and they'll just completely approach something different. Some people like want you to like cast over them. Oh, just cast over my line. I'm like, don't do that shit to me in my boat. This so, is a, that's such a actually valid... that's that's a very interesting thing because there it, there is an old I forget what podcast there is where someone talks about 
almost like if you really, really are in sync with your casting partners, that actually casting over their lines can can in some ways be like if you're moving fast enough that you're kind of like constantly casting ahead and yeah. casting over somebody, but just wait, waiting for somebody to hook a fish and have a clusterfuck. Well, that's the, I mean, if, if everyone's fishing a different <laughs> speed bait, that's the thing. If everyone's oh, fishing like I, the, same, yeah. the same speed bait, like if everyone's fishing three bucktails, yeah, you could get into a rhythm of three bucktails, but if one's fishing a jerk bait, one's fishing a topwater, one's fishing a bucktail, they're all coming in at totally different speeds. You have to be conscious of what the other people oh, yeah. are doing yeah. while yeah. you're bringing your, your bait in, you know, yeah. Otherwise, you, you, yeah. it's a shit show. It's that's exactly right, Owen. Especially if you're fishing like three out of the boat and timing your cast. Not yes. all three freaking people are figure eighting at the same damn time. That's like one of my biggest pet peeves when we're in there. Okay, all right. Now our timing's off a little bit. Wait a second. Now cast and get it back in rhythm. So and that's where that's it, a- you know if a jerk bait is different coming into the boat than a bucktail is, and so a jerk bait coming into the figure eight is you know that that person has to plan ahead a little bit different than the person with the bucktail and if they're if you're if you're like in opposite to each other you can create some real problems when it comes to when it comes to that that figure eight situation see swinky and i don't have this problem because we set six rods and drive at five miles an hour (laughs) (laughs) I cast too. I, just I know you do. I know you do. I don't anymore. Most too. people don't know because I never I catch anything. But yeah, I do do it. Just you know, it's a lot of wasted time. <laughs> I, I wanted to yeah, think of cast. Speaking of thing. casting, we need to get we need to get some hunks teams in the Chautauqua casting event, October twenty eighth. Sounds like a good day to troll because everybody's going to be beating up the weeds. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I was thinking that too. Maybe we bypass out, out on that open water by beating it up. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask this because we're we're approaching. I don't know if we're quite at two hours, but you guys yeah, are talking about like muskies, like the sport of muskie fishing. This is like a team effort, you know. And one of the challenges that people can have getting into the sport is really finding resources um, and and finding like I'll call it your place in the muskie community like one of the ways you can do that is through muskie zinc right so like can you guys speak to the importance of muskie zinc like nick you're nick ryan you guys are heavily involved lynn you're probably involved too with the stocking and some a lot of other aspects of this but like from your standpoint what what's the importance of muskie zinc here hold on one second ryan i got to introduce another member that was not here Oh, there he is. We're going to talk about Musky Zinc. Might as well have this time. Should I go get Jimmers? I feel like I should. All right, I'll indulge. So, 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 tell us a little bit. So, what our listeners can't see what what just happened there, but uh, Ryan Elizondo put on what is becoming a bit of a jacket of legend. Uh, it is a how do we describe it? It is a mustard yellow, muskie's vintage. ink. It's vintage. a gold oh, yeah. jacket. Not mustard. I want to say mustard. I want to say it's. I like mustard yellow, but is it is it leather or what is it made of? No, uh, it's like a weird 
polyester or something. <laughs> it's like sateen. It's like not satin, sateen. but it's like yeah. It's but it is often shimmery. Super pimp back in the eighties. Exactly. It's yeah. it's what you think of if you're if your grand if your grandfather was a, an absolute pimp ass musky fisherman in the in the flash, late seventies, early eighties. Flash hit the supper clubs and bold on the weekdays. Yeah. Probably Blue was jacket, green jacket. Who gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, that jacket is amazing. And so, I can't wait to uh, go ahead. G- give us a little bit of the background. Yeah. So Oli has kind of made his name now. He's uh, he's relived. He's been uh, now he's in two states and seen multiple fish, which is great. So uh, thanks to uh, Mr. Nate Bud for uh, finding this. And oh, now Oli's got a friend. Oh, look at Ryan. Now, Ryan, wait, no, both Ryans. I keep saying Ryan. Ryan Elizondo and Ryan Reed are now now both donning their uh, their gold musky zinc jackets. Ryan Reed, tell us about yours. Well, <laughs> That's a recent okay, pickup. so let, let me, I missed some of this because I had to run downstairs and pull the Jimmers out because Jimmers went for a little boat ride with me on Saturday night with Nate Bud. So, uh, okay, so the whole thing is, did you guys tell the backstory here? We a little bit, Ryan yeah, E. Why don't you tell us the ba- the backstory of yours first? So we're in this group chat with all you guys and Mister Nate Bud, and he he's always finding these weird vintage things or whatever. He sends all this stuff, and he finds his jacket, and I was like, I'm sold. It was like twenty five, thirty bucks. I was like, whatever, I'm buying that thing. That thing's gonna go in the boat. It's gonna be a lucky jacket. Oli's going to live on all this stuff. So that was kind of the, the big thing and add some patches to it. Just get it, get it around on our trips and stuff like that. Lynn slimed it up the first, I think it was the first night we took it out. And uh, it's kind of gone a little bit viral. I'll say that I made a big post about it and uh, musky insider shared something about it, which was cool. And uh, Ryan Reed found Oli's friend. All right, so this wasn't a me find because I'm actually kind of I cannot believe because like I checked our our group chat and I saw I saw it in there, and I went out on eBay and I looked at it and I was like, oh my god, like this is gonna be the opportunity I have to get this jacket, right? Like, but it it sat there for a couple days, and I because I didn't jump on it right away, and I remember like Nate Bud sent me a sidebar text and he's like, bro, you gotta buy this jacket, like you have to buy this jacket. (laughs) So I'm looking at it oh, and the price, pressure. they had this thing listed at like, it was like $79.99. And I was like, man, that's, that's freaking steep for a jacket like, like this. But I thought about it and I ran it by D and I was like, listen, like what, when are, when are you going to have an opportunity like this to basically take and imitate what Ryan did? You know, like the whole idea behind this jacket is like my, my guys, my guy's name was Jim. Right. Like I didn't I haven't been able to find the backstory on Jim. And he's, he was a master angler. I mean, I'm well, seeing a patch right well, there. He's a master the, angler. Here's the other thing that's interesting. If I can find this. Oh, he's all he's all dude, you got hit. Dude, you got hella patches on that thing. Yeah. Man. Jesus. So right here, there is a patch for the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame. <gasps> but it says, it says it says recognition. 
Okay, so I don't I don't know the story behind this, and don't think Nate, Bud, and I didn't stay up till all hours of the night trying to find Jim. <laughs> and uh, the the interesting piece of this is like you know Ryan, you talked about getting a little bit of the backstory on. Is it Ole or is it Ole? It's Ole. It's Ole. Yeah. Okay, so like I've been searching for Jim, dude. I've been searching relentlessly for Jim. And I found right. Ryan sent us like multiple obituaries. Yes, like, like, like this is my guy. <laughs> this is my guy. So I literally, this I found, is my guy. <laughs> so listen to this. So oh, hey. I, I found. Oh, I reached out like, to the nah. person on eBay, oh, and I was like, "Where? Like, where did you find this?" And she's like, "Well, it's in a. It was at an estate sale in this really small town in Wisconsin." So naturally, I'm like, "All right, I got somewhere to go off of." So we start looking at this, and I find an obituary. For a gentleman that had passed away that lived in that area and if you look at some of these patches there is like like for example uh what is this god's country chapter of muskie's inc up there this this person would have been in that chapter that's directly in that town of wisconsin and also there's lake patches that this person fished and that lake was roughly 30 to 45 minutes from that town in Wisconsin. So I don't know for sure if it's the right gym, but you know, I sent a message up to the Muskie's Inc chapter up there. I never got a reply, but I was kind of curious, like if anybody had the backstory on this, this was a way for me to do something similar to what Ryan and Leonard are doing, you know, kind of keep Jim's jacket catching fish. Like that was the whole idea. Like, Take this on, make this like a fun thing in the boat. You catch a fish, you wear Jim's jacket, you get a picture, and it's a way to keep Jim's jacket getting slimed. And whoever Jim was, you know, he yeah, was we a do member. Need, we need we need more info on Jim because I'm gonna say this. I fought like I, I looked at the obituary that you sent, and it mentioned him being like an outdoors guy. But for all the patches on that jacket, it would have like, to. Right. Like the for the fact that, that that it didn't mention muskies in the in the obituary, I that's the only thing that makes me think that it, that's not it because that jacket no is pimped convinced. out. It could look at his jacket; it's pimped out with patches, man. Like yeah. that thing. Like you can't tell me as the lawyer. You can't tell me you can't <laughs> exhibit number exhibit A yeah. is that jacket. You can't tell me that the person who compiled all of the the patches on that jacket that their kids didn't like say oh we're gonna mention muskies in his obituary yeah i i agree with you but the fact that this has a freshwater yeah, fishing kids hall of fame recognition kind of that kind of stirred the pot and and napon and i were up like all hours in the night like looking at the freshwater hall of fame like inductee list I'm and picturing them with like the cork board with the, all the oh, yeah. string and the oh, pictures yeah. of people's faces oh, all yeah. over it. Yeah, 100%. I mean, so we never, like, I can't say for sure that it's a gym that's in the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame because if it was, this jacket would be probably worth a lot more than 80 bucks, in my opinion, but you never know. So I think this is a fun way to, you know, much like Oli. We're going to try to keep Jim's jacket catching fish. And it, it's a way to kind of look at the past and, and really like embrace the sport of musky fishing, you know, and realize like as a new, as a new musky fisherman, you know, you can go out there and catch all the fish you want to catch. But realistically there was somebody doing that 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. Oh, hell yeah. 
60 on shitty years gear. Ago. Like on, yeah, on exactly. shitty gear with no electronics. Look at Jim's jacket, baby. Like that's proof. <laughs> like that's and, a musky angler right there. And I don't know, Ryan, I don't know if you have release patches on yours, but I can tell you Jim caught a lot of muskies. <laughs> just I, based I on got, his I I had a few, and then I actually took some off, so some new patches can go on. So it's gonna it's gonna be gold again. We got the I got the masters patches now too. Oh, you got all sorts of. I got a couple. I got I found a couple patches from from PA to throw my 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 own flavor on it. I can't tell you that I'm gonna be able to sew these things on very efficiently, but you know that's another. Don't iron. No, what we should think about doing is is uh you know. It's cool to have the old ones, but maybe let's start a couple new ones to kind of uh starter jackets. Exactly. Like to to go Fours. forward. You know, to to start moving things forward from our generation because at some point members only jacket. 30 30 years go. from now people are going to be, you know, talking about us just the way we talk about people from 1980s, you know. It's like, you know, life isn't going to stop, man. We we are we're only a little piece of the puzzle so if you know someone i guess what i'm saying is that someone put their mark on it by making a jacket like that if you don't make something like that that doesn't move forward yeah i mean so shout out to you guys for kind of setting the bar on this one like this is a super cool and fun thing to do and just it's going to be like a novelty on the boat so we're going to we're going to get Jim's jacket out there and hopefully I can get, you know, do as well as you guys have done and at least get one fish in it this year. You know, yeah, keep I, keep I, the jibbers. Have those jackets. Go ahead, Owen. I said you guys have those jackets and Donnie has the uh Ricky Bobby jacket. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Very unlike extra small. Not Ricky sure Bobby I've caught jacket. a fish since I got brought that thing on the boat. Ooh. It's like a banana. <laughs> It's worse than a banana. I've caught fish with bananas on those. You got to change your name. El Diablo. <laughs> like a fighting chicken. It's got to troll fast. I want to go fast. I'll say with this jacket, though, it's just fun. I always used to keep masks in the boat and just fun things, whatever. Just to, I don't know. We're, we've been beating a dead horse about how this fish can can be stubborn and get you down. And then those highs that, that come come with it. And I'd wear masks in the boat. We do all sorts of weird stuff. And this is just one. It doesn't come out for every fish we catch or anything like that. It's just in the boat. Just that it's there. And we re- remembering Ole. He's, he's out there having a good time. I hope my kids or Lynn's kids, whatever it is, one day that they remember, oh, Brian had these this stinky pair of socks he would always wear or something. I don't know. Something weird like that. Some tradition. And. They continue it on, so it's cool. They will wear socks and sandals. <laughs> that's a that's a pro move right there, I gotta say. <laughs> so we haven't gotten Ryan into the Crocs yet. Come on. Nope, oh never. man. He's a slide are you slides guy? Yeah. No way, slides actually. and socks. Slides and socks. That's that's my guy right there. Nick, what about you? What's your footwear of choice when you're out there musky fishing? Um, honestly, like my favorite pair of shoes have been like the uh, hook shoes the last couple of years. With, okay. like, yeah, they're like kind of like the hey dudes of fishing shoes. Yeah, yeah. I had a pair of those. Those were actually really 
really nice. I like those too. Yeah, they were they've been super comfy. I've I've rocked a couple pairs of those over the last couple of years. I did Crocs for a while, but then like you slide around and shit. I run like a foot pedal a lot for the trolling motor, and it's just like it's kind of a mess. And then what four, four wheel drive like, doesn't do it? No, you like you slip off the footbed. I know you know what I'm talking about. Did you see that? Well, you slip off? I don't know you what you're talking off. about. You're dialing in the eye troll. I, I, yeah. I no, promise well, okay. you, I have no idea what you're talking about because those stupid I, things have never been on my feet and they never will. Be. It's like your tires. If you don't replace your tires. Hold out in the group. They're like, that's like, fuck Crocs. Never. Yeah. Crocs are made of like soft rubber. If you wear them enough, oh, like they become slippery. Soft. They are not soft. Oh my goodness! Like, <laughs> like you know how, are how fast those things. The the, the the house how how fast the bottom of Crocs like no like uh, flatten out. I mean, they become like. I mean, I at the beginning of spring before we go to the lake, like my wife and I will look at the bottom of all the kids' Crocs and be like, okay, are these ones okay to continue for the summer? Because if they go on the dock with crocs that are like that are are like worn down dude they're like freaking yeah. ice skates dude th- just I picture mean, this for like, a second it goes in, i mean it's crazy picture this for a second all okay. problems they wouldn't have if they just wore shoes owen owen is wearing <laughs> owen is wearing suits all week all week okay all week every shirts ties day. suits every oh. single day and think about this for a second his choice for comfort is freaking Crocs, dude. When I come home from work, I wear I wear I have like two pairs of pants that I the the same pairs of pants I put on every single day. Same 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 thing with shorts. Like even with my suits, I have ten blue shirts. I have ten white shirts. They're the exact same shirts. I wear the exact same thing every day because, like, a comfort matters in like. Why the hell do I need anything else? Like Crocs work perfectly. My cheap, my my rig, my shirts work perfectly. This my, this comes from a job. man that has never put his feet into a pair of Hey Dudes. No, I have not. The greatest and, shoe on this planet is Hey Dudes. Look at him saying no. What's the greatest shoe on the planet? No. Don't even say no balance. Ryan's shaking his head no. no Lynn's shaking her head yes. It's not no balances. It, hey Dudes <laughs> are the greatest no. shoe. Of all are you guys time. actually like talking about like shoe shoes? Because then those are Air Max nineties. If you well, know. yeah, I mean if we're going to like the, the shoe shoes. Yeah, yeah. Comfort level here, the the most comfortable compare, shoe on the planet. No balance. I compare Hey Dudes to Crocs. No, come on, man. Go to Cabela's. They have their off brand at Redhead or whatever. They are the same. Like Nick is wearing his hook shoes. They'll slide on. I shoes. agree. They are ten times more comfortable than a pair of Hey Dudes. I will tell hey you. Hey Dudes are oh, Hey Dudes man. are not are. Lynn, are help me out here. Not You're shaking your head. Loved by Hey Way Dudes. Inferior. I have, I have like four or five pairs of Hey Dudes. Thank you. Greatest I shoe of all time. I got right none. there. Bam. Ask her how much <laughs> yarn she has. <laughs> how much what? Yarn. Yarn? We have. Do we have? They don't know towels? my crochet habits. Yeah. Oh my god, my daughter crochets like crazy. Hey, I'll take it on the Nate, boat when we're trolling. Like, crochet along. Yeah. Nate Bud sent me a a musky uh, instructions how to make a crochet musky. So she's working on that. 
Dude, he's got really? everything. He's he finds where did he find that? No, seriously, where did he find that? Because I've been looking for one because I, I wanted started. my daughter to make one. Look, oh, look. at that! Oh, look oh at no that. way, that's sweet. Oh, wow. I haven't done the tail yet. This was my first, my rough draft, so don't judge me yet. Okay, so that's crazy. <laughs> Maybe my looks like I. I don't know if I can say it or not. Let me I know what you're gonna say. What you, What am I gonna say, Donnie? Come on, get a, it. A snake. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> that was a cop out. That Maybe the a head's cop-out. a little small. Got him. <laughs> All right. It looks like a sack for something. <laughs> well, have we taken enough of everyone's time here tonight? I mean, geez, we're we're at like two hours and forty five minutes. I think at this point, oh, this we started fun, at eight, we started at eight thirty. Yeah. yeah, our time. Yep. Yep. This has oh, been fun, man. This has been fun. And that's this is what I like about this whole podcast is like all of a sudden we turn around and it's been yeah. two plus hours, and it's like holy, you know, we just shot the shit for that amount of time, and I love it, man. I, and I appreciate you guys for taking this time because obviously it's not easy to schedule two plus hours out of your day to sit around and talk about a fish that. Drives us all crazy. Agreed. Amen. All right. So we're. Does we're anyone all... have anything else they want to discuss before we closing disband this? Before we got onto the the gold jackets, Ryan, you asked something about muskie zinc. I did. The importance of muskie zinc. You know what? What? Because I mean, I get a lot of questions too, like guys that are getting into this thing, you know, whatever they saw a video or whatever. It's like, what can Muskie Zinc do? For forty five bucks, you get a membership. You know, like what's the importance of Muskie Zinc? I think it's hard for some of the people over here on the west west side because I mean that that money going to Muskie Zinc isn't always going towards our fisheries. I don't think that as a whole is that money going to the Muskie Zinc as as the uh, organization is supposed to be going to the individual chapters anyway. It's more of, hey, we've got the lunge log that you can go in and look at all the catches, any single lake you you want. You get the magazine, um, you get access to all sorts of stuff, and then you get your individual chapters. And I think that's where, like with us, we're doing our fundraising fundraising at our at our tournaments, at our year end banquet, things like that. And I wouldn't even know Nick if it wasn't for Muskie's Inc. Honestly, I there's a lot more networking than you you honestly think too. I, especially for new anglers, if you're not going to your local chapter or anything, you're not finding out anything about what you have in your backyard or anything like that to fish. And it's just like this, you know, like you said, shooting the shit, talking about the fish, and you know throwing ideas out there things that you wouldn't normally think of and thinking outside the box and all of that stuff yeah and i think and i think uh, another really really important thing um in in utah there 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 was a need for a, a, a voice for tiger muskie anglers and there really wasn't a platform and the the most legitimate way to go about that was to create um, a muskie zinc chapter because you, you know, you have out here 
you know, Trout Unlimited, you have Stonefly Society, you have tons of like bass associations, bass tournaments, like all those people are, you know, they're loud, they're proud, they have a seat at the table. And it's kind of hard to unofficially just be a band of anglers that come together in Utah and, and um, have a special interest for a specific fish like this, like there are other fish. Um, so having the, the national recognition, having um, a good organization and having, you know, decades of groundwork, I, I personally feel was monumental to get a seat at the table. And even though we aren't the, the largest group of anglers, we're probably the most involved and um, our state definitely appreciates that. Yeah, man, that's well said. Well, that's, that's an awesome thing there. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you guys, all, all three of you really like, you know, I've established personally a lot of relationships through Muskie's Inc, but I've gotten better as an angler just from our chapter. And really like I can speak for here, you know, our chapter has been instrumental in, in, you know, getting some of the stocking going and, you know, funding for the minnows and things like that. So, Oh yeah. By the way, shout out to Mac discount because uh, they did that fundraiser and raised, I don't know, a couple thousand dollars towards the yeah. uh, minnow fund. I don't know exactly. Donnie, what was the, Donnie was in charge of it. So like, uh, I don't 20... have the number right in front of me. It was just under $2,500. I was going like, to say it was, I was, yeah, I had 2,500 like... in my, but dude, that's a lot of freaking minnows, man. <laughs> Yeah, it, it it should go. Uh, hopefully, it it does a good thing. Uh, gets a lot of a lot of fish for uh, for the muskies. We'll see. But yeah, it was a it was a cool thing to be a part of. Yeah. So thank you. To, thank you to well, yeah. Don. You you were in charge of it. So for Mac Discount, you you did. But thank you to Kellen, uh, Kellen Campbell of Mac Discount for kind of getting that whole thing set up and Don Donnie for running it. So it's a lot and of money, everybody man. Everybody that bid. Uh, I mean, that's really where the money came from. Uh, customers that bid on the items and a lot of uh, club members got involved, but I'm sure it was a lot of just regular customers too. But that's where that, you know, if it wasn't anybody bidding, there wouldn't have been any donations. So. Very cool. I just, I wanted to make sure we touched on that, you know, for, for Oli and for Jim. <laughs> All yeah, right. I what think, else? I think Oli and Jim. Are just really really happy that like some hipster didn't get that in the estate sale, and it's yeah. not like it, some not in Portland shitty yeah. like was a cool like with a mustache that turns up. Yeah, exactly. Drinking coffee somewhere. Yeah, nine uh, percent IPAs that taste like <laughs> pumpkin butthole. <laughs> pumpkin butthole. Yeah, they're like. Wow. Like they're sitting there and they're like, they're like, if this dickhead orders like, like vegan avocado toast, <laughs> one more time at brunch, Olay. They're just they're just happy like 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 uh the Ryan's are over here talking about we just want to carry on and get this slime. They're like, no man, this could have been way worse than you guys. Thank you for carrying it on. Yeah, that's great. Well, I can't thank all of you guys, uh, you know, Ryan, Lynn, Nick, for taking this time. I mean, it's a lot of time out of someone's day to uh, to sit here and talk about these muskies that, that 
drive us all insane. But, uh, you know, you guys are awesome. You guys have always been supportive of the podcast. And, dude, I, I like I can't thank thank you guys enough for for taking this time and being a part of this. It was fun. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys. I had, a, I had a great time. Thanks for putting up with me. <laughs> You're awesome, man. This was awesome. Yeah, this is fun. A lot of fun. All right, everybody. All right, guys. All right. Hey, see thanks, you. guys. Yeah. We'll see ya. I had to shake him on my last case. Big O don't play. Big o don't